From the KUAM Podcast Network, this is Arlene Live with conversation on island issues facing Guam and the Northern Mariana Islands. Now, here's Arlene. Today is the 10th of October 2019 and we are going to talk about Micah Griffith's journey into beekeeping and into harvesting honey. I read the article that was posted in the Guam Daily Post and I asked Micah if he could share this history with me. I met Micah when he was probably about seven years old. Parents had come to Guam, his mother's Korean, father's Caucasian, actually Texan isn't he? Yeah, he's Texan. And just a really charming couple, and they had these two gorgeous little boys. Uh, Micah is the youngest of the two. And at the time, the the Griffiths were in the same congregation as me um, in, in Central. This family is a Jehovah's Witness family. And Micah somehow learned that my husband, Bob, was a fisherman. And I don't know where Micah's interest in fishing comes from because Texas is not exactly a coastal state but he wanted to go fishing with Bob and I thought it was very charming that this seven-year-old boy had the nerve to come up and say does your husband fish I want to fish with him do you remember that yeah I remember um I even remember what we ate we had uh the beans and uh franken beans and uh, we went out on it. You don't have that boat anymore. It's the inflatable one. And it's, then, it's actually still out there, but it's oh, not. Oh, you still have yeah, it? Yeah. It's deflatable now. Yeah. And <laughs> I think we went out uh, near Coco's. Yeah. So, you went out to Aching Bay Marina. Yeah. yeah. Everything from now till then, I don't really remember, but yeah. I remember that day very clearly. Yeah. So you went out fishing with Bob and, uh, you know, it, this is not part of beekeeping, but you continued fishing. Do you use tanks or is it free diving? I tried using uh, tanks to go spear fishing, but I didn't. I didn't care for it too much. Uh, I prefer to just do regular uh, free dive. And how deep do you go? Um, most of the spear fishing that we do here at night is is not too deep. So probably it's going to be around some some parts are very shallow, like less than three feet, and you'll find a lot of reef fish there. Even like uh, Tatagai will come up in the shallows. And then other parts will probably get to around like maybe 20, 30 feet. But it's most of the area where we're going is real reefy and it's, it's not that deep. Okay, well, this is an interest of mine too because I'm working on traditional fishing practices and I'd forgotten that you fish. So ultimately where we want to go is your beekeeping and honey harvesting experience. But I know that there's a lot of backstory before we get to that point. So can you tell us how all this developed? When you moved to Guam, where did you come from as a family? And then how did you, you know, how did, how did you get into the business of, of business? Yeah, well, going back to all the way from t- Texas, at the time I was, I moved to Guam, I think in 1990, January. And I was, I want to say just about eight at the time in second grade. And I just remembered from just talking to you right now that actually when I was a little kid, I had a huge bug collection. I really loved bugs. 
and then shortly after I hated bugs and like they they creeped me out so it, it wasn't a natural progression for me to go to beekeeping so we we moved over to Guam I've always had an interest I guess in, in business I was always like hustling in school selling my cookies or my dad would take me to the mom and pop store on the way to school and I'd buy a bunch of whatchamacallits and then flip them at school so I guess I kind of always had that um, from the time I was young um, help me to understand what is a whatchamacallit remember back in the day the whatchamacallit candy bars I don't think they make them anymore oh see I, yeah. I don't like candy so I would never know what a whatchamacallit candy bar yeah. is well when I was a kid I loved candy but even till now I don't eat too much candy but whatchamacallits um they, they're like Snicker bars. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they're with peanuts and chocolate? I think they had like a Rice crispy kind of a nutty. It just had caramel, chocolate. It was like all mixed. Oh, Maybe that's, that's where they got the name. I don't like chocolate much, but I like mm. caramel. Let's go back to the bug thing. Why were you fascin fascinated with bugs? And then what happened? I don't know. It's just when I was young, we had like uh, tarantulas in, in uh, Texas. We had... Uh, walking sticks, scorpions, all kinds of stuff. And so there was uh, probably one of my parents' friends that um, had a collection of bugs and he would just uh, put them in, I forget what solution that is, like to preserve them. Formaldehyde? Yeah, probably formaldehyde or something. And he would give them to me. And then I had a whole collection of them. And then when we moved to Guam, you know, it's a whole bunch of different kinds of bugs. So I was interested in it for a while, but then, um, I don't know, something just clicked in my brain and told me these are creepy so <laughs> did you leave your collection in texas or did you bring it to guam no most of everything we left behind why yeah. did you move to guam so um in probably the late 80s uh, my parents wanted to to take me and my brother someplace different and they wanted to be able to do uh, more in the voluntary work and so they had asked uh, for a suggestion from someone else who was in the bahamas and their boys were doing great and they their family was just really like picture perfect and so they said oh what do you, what do you think we should do for our boys because we were still young and they said oh you should uh, go and serve where the need is great or, or you know uh, go out and help help in some areas so my parents planned on doing that for they they decided one year if it's horrible and we'll stick it out but we'll stay for two years if it's great and we've been here ever since and it's been how many two years since Man. 1980, you 1990, said. 1990, we moved here. Oh, 19, January of 1990. And uh, so 2019 yeah, now. And so I've spent more than half my life out here. Well, that's wonderful. And you're a wonderful person to have on Guam. Anyway. And you're one of the first people we met when we yeah. came out. Well, it's yeah. because you were so bold. You wanted to know. You wanted. You actually weren't interested in me. You wanted to go fishing with my husband. Well, I think before we went fishing, you took us out before that too for water skis. Yes. But there was no rope. Yeah. And so we just went sh like strolling in the water. And I think from there, I was like, I want to go fishing. Yeah. yeah. Well, you were a very cute little boy. and yeah, That's were, all past. That's all past. <laughs> no, but I mean, seriously, you know, you were very endearing. And you were very bold for a little kid. So it, it was a natural thing to want to help you. So when you when you moved here, what did your parents do to, to meet the needs of the family? What kind of business did they get involved in? So what happened was... Um, Back in Texas, my mom did housekeeping, and my father at the time was, I think he was teaching computer programming, but he has um, a history in diesel mechanics. And so he came out to Guam, 
And the first job I believe he got was for Vaughn Watson's, the architect. Vaughn Watson yeah. is a two-door neighbor of ours, right up the street. Janice that married Clint Larson. So Janice worked for Vaughn and then um, told him that my dad was looking for a, a job. This is back like when they first were, computers were getting kind of popular. And so Vaughn asked my dad to help him order some computers. And so my dad was helping them out at Vaughn Watson's for the the computers. And then my mom was doing housekeeping and for uh, a couple of the the ones in the community. And then I think what happened after that was my dad, he wanted to, to fix up a, a big semi truck and convert it into a tow truck because back then there wasn't a tow truck for large vehicles. A anytime a large vehicle broke down, they had to fix it there on the spot kind of thing. So he wanted to do that. So he was starting to do that. And at the same time, he was working for, I think, JJ Moving. You remember them? Mm -hmm. And so while he was working for them, he had a stroke. And uh. so... That's when um, he everything kind of came to a grinding halt. But my parents have always been really good savers. And so they had some, some uh, leeway. And my mom continued to do what she was doing, but it wasn't going to be able to pay the bills. So she started uh, working with another uh, guy she knew. He had a, a tourist business. And so she was helping to do that with the... Back then, I think it was the Korean tours, giving them tours. And then another guy... Uh, that she knew um, helped her with the idea of trying to sell things and back then it was gold-plated jewelry and back then it was very popular to have you know that red coral the yes. polished red coral yes. that was so trendy for a while and then pearls yes and so he would let her uh, sell those products for him and then she would get a commission off of that what year did your father get a stroke i want to say it was Maybe 92, 93. Okay. Not that, too long after we've been here. That was pretty early on. Yeah, I think it was around that time. Yeah. And then um, my dad, he recovered and he uh, started, he taught at GCC for a while. He was teaching and then at that time they were trying to learn uh, computer programming. I think it was IT&E and &E and I, was there AT&T back then or something? There was a, a lot of the communication was, guys. This is like pre-internet, right? And right. so they were trying to learn all of the stuff, but there's no programs for it. So they took my dad's class and he was teaching them computer programming. And then he was also doing, um, so a lot of the telecommunications guys were going to him. And at the same time, he was a diesel mechanic for like um, uh, Midpack and I'm trying to remember, uh, uh, maybe ERC, some of the other companies, he was doing a lot of the diesel mechanics. Eventually he landed himself at Shell but the um, refinery down down south. So he was working on all their diesel stuff. So he was he was doing the diesel mechanic for them. And then my mom, um, someone told her, if you want to do like wholesale for the tourism market, you need to find a product from China. And so they helped her to go to this show where they would have all the products. You can try to source something. And uh, she lucked out and found her her one good product, which was a keychain. And back then, in the early 1990s, tourism was so great that you could have any product and it would sell. That's when the Japanese tourist was very strong. And so some of the, the, the products that she was bringing back, they would even misspell the products or, you know, it was really bad or like bad condition. And she, she doesn't know what to do because, you know, she put her money into it. And she only started, I think, with like maybe a grand or two. 
and then uh, you know it's going to get wiped out. We've even had shipments come in that they came in rusty, and we had to trash the whole thing, and we just lost the whole investment. So the whole time, my dad is keeping his job to keep her small business running, right? And at the time, I think all of her inventory kind of fit under the bed and in one closet. And uh, but because the economy was so good with the tourism, then it kind of made it easier. And there was no competition back then either because no one was really bringing in the stuff. Where was she selling them? Back then, you know, the the, the courtyard here uh, in Agania? The plaza? Yeah, the plaza there. There would be like these. I think they still might set up some, some canopies there. But it was mostly there and in uh, Paseo. You know where they had the, like going out to go surf at, at a boat? There used to be a walkway there and right. they would line them up with with um, so like a portable kiosk yeah they had this like little tent set up and they stopped that a little bit later but those were the two main locations yeah so that's where the tourist market would find her yeah okay and so she we never did retail but she would always do the wholesale because we couldn't operate a store that's kind of who would she wholesale to down in the plaza there was like these little tents that people would set up and they would buy her keychains and then also we were selling all up and down Tumon Strip this is before ABC store came so there was a lot of mom-and-pop shops and so uh, she would sell to most of them and then she continued to do that and my dad continued to be a mechanic and I was probably going into I think high school and uh, when I would come well actually from middle school on I would come home and she would like sweatshop labor me and like I have to work and you know I'm working on these keychains and stuff bundling them and I did that all the way up until high school and then I also picked up a lot of uh, janitorial jobs and strip and wax jobs for uh, resurfacing the floors and carpet cleaning jobs you know from all the brothers they got all these cleaning jobs right, right so right. that's where I did most of my work and then uh, when I was in high school I really was not a fan of school and so I was trying to figure out how can I get out of school earlier right and so I found out about this program the the work for credit and but that's only for seniors and failing seniors I think mm. they had priority and I was a freshman so there's no way I can get in so don't tell me that you decided to fail just so you can no get in. no I just went and asked and they, they were really cool about it and they're like okay we'll let you in early Oh. And so they let me in for my freshman year, my summer year, and I started working. And But I was already working for my mom, right? And then after one year of that, they said, hey, how come all your boss's signatures is the same as your mom's signature? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I work for my mom. And they're like, you can't do that. And I was like, oh, what am I going to do now? And so I asked my friend Steven, who's also in the wholesale business. Steven who? Fujiwara. But he's in Hawaii now. Yeah. And so I asked him, hey, are you looking for some, some work? And he's like, yeah, you want to come and work? I said, yeah, that'd be great. And so he's the one who became my boss after that in the rest of the years of high school. And it turned out I got to graduate a year early because of all the credits were all filled out from uh, working for my mom and working for my friend. Because I was on the uh, tourism path. Okay. And they considered that working in the tourist industry. Yes. And so I would have to go in. My freshman year, I had full schedule. Sophomore year, I had four classes. And then I think junior year, I had half day. And then senior year, no senior year. So you did have to go to class? Yeah. Okay, so there was there was a shared program where 
classroom as well as practical experience. Yeah. Okay. So I, I, you can't do it for, you can only get the credits for electives. I see. Yeah, and then that was before they changed the amount of credits you need. Now the, the kids all need a lot more credits. Okay. So, but back then I was able to get out of school early and I, I did that. And then uh, I worked for my mom for a few months. And then that's when I went to do some voluntary service at Bethel for a few years. And even till that time, my mom's business had only grown from under her bed to the closet to we built like a, in the garage, we had a, a two stall garage and we closed down one and that was the, our warehouse. And then um, about that time when I was about ready to come out of um, Bethel and like get, get some work, you know. Um, get employed. Yeah, get employed. That's when SARS happened. And what year was that? It was the same year as 9-11 and SARS happened at the same time. And we had a typhoon that rolled through and business was just done. Brilliant. There was nothing. And so my parents said, you're not going to be able to work for us because we're not like really in business, right? It was right. so slow, the we're economy. struggling. Yeah, so I was like, okay. So I, I just, um, I, I stuck it out there for a little bit longer. And then um, when you stuck I, it out where? When I was still doing the voluntary work. Oh. And then uh, they were going to be starting up construction there. That's when they had the big renovation. And so um, I promised Marilee, she's like, if they start by this date, you're going to stay for the whole construction project. And if they don't, then you're free as a bird, right? So they never started in time. And then I, I left. This is Arlene Live, and we've got more coming up in just a moment. Buenas and Hafere. I'm Lacey Martinez Francisco. If you're hungry or have a passion about everything food, then I've got just the show for you with me. Each week, I bring you Foodie Call, a show about all aspects of how we Guamanians enjoy our cuisine, preparing it, consuming it, sharing it, using it as social currency, and talking endlessly about it. We also profile people in our community who are masters of their crafts in working with food. Whether you eat with your eyes or can't wait to fill your stomach, or if you're a perfectionist about the process, you'll enjoy Foodie Call right here on the KWM Podcast Network. So lock in our show by subscribing to our feed on SoundCloud, on iTunes, on Google Podcasts, or on your favorite podcatcher platform. And get our freshest episodes delivered right to your device when we're done cooking them. We'll see you then, and we'll make you a plate. Now, more Arlene Live on the KUAM Podcast Network. Fortunately, tourism picked back up. And so my mom, she's like pretty tough, right? Plus this is her business. So she's like, okay, you're gonna work for me. You find your own accounts and you don't bother any of my accounts. So, you know, I had to go and hit the streets and like start trying to find new accounts. And I was so surprised because I was, you know, just a, a kid. Nobody knows me from anywhere. And these are all like business professionals. I didn't expect for them to give me the time of the day. But I was so impressed, like, especially with uh, Marlene Pasqua. She's the buyer before at DFS. And, you know, I come in there with my binder and I have some pictures of like magnets and keychains and stuff. And 
she's like, okay. She she gave me a meeting. She's like, we'll schedule a meeting. And then she's there with her assistant buyers there. And I'm in this huge room of all these chairs and it's just me. And then I just gave my presentation. And so she said, okay, we'll start you at Underwater World. And that one turned out actually out to be a really good account. It got to the point where I think we were doing, they said, uh, for the souvenirs business, we were 80% of their sales. And, but that took uh, years to grow to that size. And then she also put us in uh, duty-free, and all of the Micronesian duty-frees. And even at that time, they said like some of our products were always in the top five uh, sales for souvenirs. When you go to these fairs, how do you know to select a product that is gonna make the top five most popular selling item on Guam? So it takes, a, like you're gonna choose a lot of bad product. And a lot of times, You'll stumble on a product by accident. You think, oh, this thing's never going to sell. And you try it out, and it's like the hottest thing. And so um, that's kind of what happened with a lot of the products that we found. Um, my first big product I sold was uh, this one product called Rocking Annie. And it was basically a bobblehead that has a cute animal bobblehead. And the mouth pops out, and you put in a, a picture. So it's like a picture frame bobblehead. I saw it when we went to a trade show uh, with my parents. So even while um, I was in high school, even though I wasn't really in the business because I'm still a kid, my parents would bring me to Hong Kong. And so I was learning the business. A lot of times I was just carrying things and carrying all the stuff back. But um, that was before we were doing shipping because it was such small quantities that we're bringing. So we went to Hong Kong and I saw this product and I just thought this product is going to sell. And my parents are like, no, that's not going to sell. Then the next year we went, we saw it again. I'm like, I, I really think this product's going to sell. And they're like, no, no one wants that. And my mom has her style, and it's like a lot, it leans towards the, the female demographic, and which is smart because that's who buys most of the product. And also it's like a little bit older style, and it, she likes jewelry and things like that. She buys for herself then. Yeah, she's buying for her, and that's probably the customer who's also buying from us. And so I kind of had an appeal towards the, the younger um, demographic. And I kept seeing this product. And I kept telling my parents, I'm like, I think this is going to uh, sell. And so my parents said, okay, if you think it's going to sell, then put up the cash and you buy it. And so at the time, all I had was, well, it was actually pretty good. I think for like a, I just out of high school, I think I had saved up six grand. Wow. And so I've always been a saver since I was a kid. You learned it from your parents. Yeah. And so... My parents are like, okay, well, you drain your bank account, and if you believe in it that much, then buy it. You needed to invest $6,000 on the bubble head? The minimum that we could in, uh, invest was um, ten. dollars $10,000 to invest is yeah. the minimum to, it, be, to be in the game. Yeah, so back then in Hong Kong, like, a lot of times the minimums was one container, which is a 20-foot container of a product, and or they'll give you a dollar minimum, which was usually around, like, twenty grand. And a lot of times they won't like, they're like, where's Guam? And they're like, oh, USA? And we're like, no, we're a small island, very close. And they're like, oh, they're not interested. And then we'll say, they're like, what's your population? Because we're trying to talk them down in minimums, right? We're like, oh, we have like 150, 180,000. I forget what the population was back then. It hasn't changed Yeah, much. it's been around. So we'll tell them it's, it's that amount. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, not interested. But we have to tell them, no, but it's a tourist destination. And we get lots of tourists coming from Japan. And then we would really have to just like haggle with people just for them to give us the time of day to, 
you know, take us seriously. And this one company, it was fortunate that they they were like, yeah, okay, we'll work with you. And so the bobblehead. Yeah, bobblehead. So it's like six grand. I had to put up the cash. My parents put up the other four grand, brought in the product, and it just blew off the shelves. And that's how much it, did you sell them for? So you you figure out what is your uh, shipping cost, the product cost, and we just doubled it. And then um, that's usually the going rate that most of the wholesale was doing. And then that's when ABC was here. And what would you put into the mouth? The like a photograph. So it's like a little picture frame. It looks almost like emoji style, very a- anime right. kind of style. And so we brought it in, and it just sold out. And then ABC was like, this is the greatest thing, right? They, you sold out 10,000 of those? Yeah, quick. How quick? Couple months. Really? Yeah, and so it was like, they gave us ABC. If a product does good, that's one thing, like it's a tip. If somebody wants to get into this business, you go into an ABC, and, and you look at what's on the bay ends. Bay ends are like prime real estate. Bay ends. Yeah. The end of the, the bay. The end of the bay, yeah. Mm-hmm. And if they're there and if it takes a big spot, like Blockbuster back in the yes, day, if the yes. whole wall is one video, you know it's a good movie. You know it's a good movie. Yeah, so I same thing. That. If you go to a store and you see it's got big space, prime location, then that's a good selling product. Mm. So So how long did you sell the bubble heads? It did pretty good for a few years. That was actually our first container to bring in. Wow. So And how many did you bring in in the container? Uh, the containers were probably like maybe around like 20 grand per container Wow. around around that much so we, we started bringing this in this product in and uh, we're making good margins on it it's selling very quickly but the thing about um, trendy products is they when they fall out of favor they just they die they die and so we were like blowing through containers of this product and then all of a sudden we're stuck with it for years. How many? We eventually ended up throwing away like a, maybe a dumpster or two of product because the packaging's already starting to yellow, mm-hmm. but it probably took us maybe about three years to clear out of the, the last remaining stock. So how many years in the run? It was probably a good seller for about three to four years. And then three more years holding on to it. Yeah. But Why did you hold on so long? Just because we had the warehouse space and then there's still a few places that were selling it and it's, you know, when you invest in something, even though it stops selling, in your mind you're, you're looking at it and you see money, mm. even if it's dead money. And so you have to know when to you cut. You see the potential yeah. for it, right? And you're like, man, this thing was selling so good and now it's not. So it's kind of an emotional thing. Were there any signs of the slowdown? Yeah, it it slowed down like pretty drastically, like, like maybe within the period of like, four or five months and at first you're thinking oh maybe it's just a slow trend it's going to pick back up but it just doesn't all in all it was a win because it did so good for so long you made more money on it than you lost and then um so that was my first pick and fortunately it was it was a good one and then we had some other ones that were some really good picks but like it was a customer like dfs they would say hey we saw this can you source it for us and I think, in, in my mind, I'm like, there's no way that's going to sell. And then we try it out, and it's just like sells like crazy. So one of the products that was was like a little inflatable bag that was filled with body wash. And they're shaped like little crabs and fish and stuff. And it's very cute. Mm-hmm. And they had saw it somewhere on one of their vacations. And they're like, oh, we think this would be great. Can you source it for Guam? So a, a good communication with your buyers. 
they know what they're doing and you have to have a certain level of trust and then you just like okay you you want me to bring this i'll bring it but do they buy it i mean do they guarantee the sale there's no guarantee so even if a buyer let's say uh, i'm the buyer and i say arlene i really want you to bring in this product and you go and you do all the work you find the product you bring it in and then you're like okay i got the product and then i see it and i say oh yeah we we changed our mind about that or i could be like i found someone else who brought it first or someone else found it cheaper or something so it's always going to be a little bit of a gamble even if i say arlene i promise you i will sell through this product and you bring it in and then next thing you know i'm like you know i'm i quit or I got fired or I'm at another place a new buyer comes in said I didn't make that deal with you Arlene your your deal was with that guy there is always going to be a level of risk so that's why it's good not to have too much inventory unless you right. know you have a, a level of confidence in a product and so the shelf life of, a, of an item or a product you don't you don't you weren't bringing food in at this time were you no we never touched food but the shelf life how long is shelf life it's market dependent a lot of times shelf life on products that we were bringing in was we would try to go for like infinite like as long as the product isn't damaged as long as the packaging isn't damaged but we've had some nightmares like moisture mold where the packaging is trashed then your product's done and we just have to trash it are all these products coming in from china the earliest that we started doing import was from korea because that's my mom's Korean. She can go there. She speaks Korean. You know, they're haggling deals in the street markets and stuff. That was a real That was a time. lot of fun, by the way. Yeah. And then the food is great. Um, and then when we started bringing in from China, we only brought in a few products. And then we only started expanding the lineup when I needed work. Mm. And so I would go with them on shows and we would have like a goal to increase like this many product lines or something. Then it kind of became a monster to where everyone was wanting to buy from us. So we went from my mom's little, um, you know, the storage room that was in the garage to getting another warehouse, then getting a second warehouse. Then we had to get a third warehouse. And I was working, even Maybelline, my wife, she was like putting in crazy hours. We're staying up like all, all night, every night, like Monday to Sunday. Cause you know, you promise your customer something, you say, we're gonna get it here on this time. And so we don't want to go back on that. And so we got to the point where we're like, okay, this got out of hand. And we took on too many uh, projects. And my mom didn't want to grow the business, like continuing to hire lots of people, which is, it can be a good thing, can be a bad thing, you know, less overhead, less responsibility. And so we didn't want to grow the business. And so we were just like, we're doing everything ourselves. And it got to the point where like, okay, we need to simplify at that time. So at that time, we were the, I think it was me and another wholesaler that were doing uh, all of the tourism sales for the, like the, we're the biggest in DFS. And the one that was uh, neck and neck with us, she really wanted to have all of it. So she offered to, to buy us out of DFS. And so we said, okay, because a lot of our inventory, like one whole warehouse inventory was just for DFS. Wow. And so then we're like, okay, that's perfect. You, you just take it. And so she took off um, all of the DFS accounts and all of the Outer Island accounts and Underwater World, which was kind of like the gym for us. Underwater World did a lot of uh, business for frames and stuff. 
So we sold it all out to her. Shortly after that, the buyers had changed a couple times and um, a lot of the product they didn't want anymore. And so we got out kind of like at a very good time. And it, it would have been like a, a really big problem if we had been um, stuck there with all that product that DFS no longer wanted. They even had us do some like custom frames and stuff. So it's, it's kind of hard to sell it on the outside market. So you got out by the skin of your teeth? Yeah. And it just kind of, it wasn't like like right away it happened, but it was probably within 12 months' time. That's pretty quick, though, in the, yeah. in the industry, right? Yeah. So like the timing of it, it was, it was good for us. But DFS, um, they worked with the other buyer and helped her to deplete most of the stock. Mm. But They didn't just abandon her. Yeah. So she, she did okay, but... That kind of set her back though, because what her goal was was to double her product line, and then um, DFS. What they they do is they'll always have sometimes they'll have like a global shift, where they're like, okay, we're getting into like a cheaper souvenir style. Then they're like, oh, we're going super luxury, because they have to follow the markets sure. too. And then um, they're like, okay, we're not going to be doing that anymore. And even at that time, I think they were shifting their buying from like Guam to Hong Kong and stuff. So there was a lot of global shifting happening at that time. And What we, time, what year was this? That was when I was still living in Tamuning. So probably, I wanna say 10, 11 years ago that happened. So we were able to downsize, we built a warehouse, and then, uh, so that kind of worked out good too because as we were building our warehouse, we had a really sweet deal on uh, warehouse rent our landlord sold the business and then the next company came in and says we're doubling your rent and so we're like okay it's good timing that we built the warehouse then so we just like cut a lot of our deadlines and then just shrunk everything down and then just only kept good uh, lines at our new warehouse anyways so moving forward um the business we kept it small well we tried to keep it small and then that's around the time my parents uh, they wanted to retire. My father retired, and my mom was ready to retire. And um, there was a, uh, another uh, guy we did business with, and we did a lot of um, work with him because a lot of times when we were trying to get into stores with new product, they want to do business with ones they're already doing business with. And who is this man? He's my friend named Juan, Juancho. Uh, well, he owns our current business now. Okay. So him and his buddy, they started up a wholesale business too. And they were doing like, they're still trying to find what are they going to sell. They were having a hard time getting into some accounts. Um, and they had good product, but stores aren't looking for new suppliers. Mm. And so they offered everybody and they were having a hard time getting it in. So they knew my mom. They asked her if she could help. So we went and showed the same product and they're like, yeah, we'll take it. And they were good selling products. And so what we were doing was we were selling it for him and then he just gave us a commission. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of helped him out that way. He went into the local market and he did really well for himself there, but he still kind of wanted the tourist market. And at the time we were doing really well with uh, tourism. And so he says, anytime you want to sell, I want to buy your business. And so that was kind of our out. And my mom wanted to retire, my dad wanted to retire. So I just told them, let me run the business for a few years and then we'll see. But uh, my mom 
when times would start to get hard with um, like the economy, uh, North Korea would make threats or typhoons would come through, business would be slow. My mom would always like she would get so stressed out about it. She couldn't uh, mentally separate from the business because she started it from nothing. So this is like my my other brother, right? It's her mm-hmm. other child. So yep. the youngest baby. Yeah. So she would she would get uh, stressed out about it. So even though she's retired, she's not fully retired, and she would still work herself, like try to do things, you know. And that was not the point of her retirement. So I told her, okay, let's sell the business. Don't go away. There's more coming up with Arlene Live on the KUAM Podcast Network. Hey there, podcast subscribers. Wait, hold up. You're not already permanently locked in to receive our feed of awesome on-demand digital audio shows from the KUAM Podcast Network? Shame on you. But it's okay. There's hope for all of us. All you need to do is head over to SoundCloud and hit follow, or if you're on iTunes, tap the subscribe button as hard as you can to directly link up to our studios and get all of our episodes on any digital device so that you can enjoy them and join the conversation as soon as we upload them. I'm talking about phones, tablets, Apple TV, whatever. You'll be able to get to us. You can also use your favorite podcast application and search KUM Podcast Network to add us. It's super easy, super fun, super interesting, and most importantly, super free. And for anyone who's already subscribed, thank you so much. You don't need to do any of this. But if you are in iTunes, do what we do on Guam. Help your neighbors out. Break out your digital jumper cables and give us a rating and a review to help our podcast reach as many people as possible. Also, you want to register your email address to receive KUM Digital Digest our weekly newsletter that goes out every Friday by going to KUM.com and then clicking on the newsletter button at the way tippy top of our homepage. Thanks so much for supporting us. And okay, that's enough gratuitous self-promotion. Let's get back to the show. Now back to the conversation with Arlene Live. And by that time, I had saved up enough money to uh, start investing in real estate. Mm. And so I wanted to get to the point where my real estate could pay for, um, could offset like my expenses for living expenses. So I got to that point just before we had sold the business. And then we sold the business. Part of the deal was I would help run it for a year. And then w- which we did and my wife had to stay on board uh, all of us kind of had to stay on board for a little bit until there was a smooth uh, transition. And then um, I was like, oh, okay, so what am I going to do now? And I didn't sign a non-compete with uh, the guy who bought my business, Juan, but I didn't want to uh, go and start competing with him. Of course. And so he offered me, he's, he's a very nice guy, and he wanted me to stay on as a partner. But that's not the purpose of me selling the business, and I don't, I don't have anything against anyone, but I don't believe in partnerships because it can be uh, chaotic, right? Right. And so I just told him I'm not interested. And he says, well, for the next five years, if you change your mind, you can always buy back in, which was very gracious of him. But I, I told him I'm, I'm not going to get back into the wholesale business. 
So I continued to, to help him with that business. And he told me that anything that I wanted to do, he would support me. And I never wanted to have a lot of overhead with uh, staff. And I didn't like having to deal with collections and things like that. I don't like having to do with, uh, deal with the deliveries. So we made a deal where he would handle my distribution. Okay. And um, so that's worked out really good for both of us. And then uh, I was trying to figure out, okay, so what kind of products am I going to do? And I started going back to a lot of the old buyers. Now, it was kind of funny. Marlene Pasqua had left just as we had left DFS. And then she had come back. Uh, she was doing the PX on base for a while. And then she went to Lotte when Lotte came to Guam. And so she reached out and she talked to me. And then I, I was like, well, I'm, I'm kind of out of the business, but I brought in a lot of the products from the old company in. And they were doing really well there at Lotte. And then she says that she wanted me to do a bath salts project. So back in the day when we were selling to DFS, there was another uh, gentleman there who was selling bath salts. And they sold well, but then um, he had passed away and no one else took up the business. And you're talking about bath salt. Bath salt. S-A-L-T. Yeah. Okay. So bath salts is kind of a dead product though. Yes. People take showers, right? Yes. Yeah, I can't remember the last time I took a bath. Everyone takes showers, but she's like, yeah, she you keeps, need a bathtub. Yeah, she's like, she keeps telling me no bath salts because I remember back in the day they were really good. Yeah. And even that, I was kind of skeptical because you know that's a long time ago. Right. Trends have come and gone. And Behavior changes. Yeah, and bath salts has also gone, right? No one uses bath salts anymore. But well, actually, a lot of people still use bath salts. Yeah. So she she kept asking me, so I was like, okay, fine, I'm gonna work on this project with you. And so we brought it in, and then she left Lotte. And so, <laughs> but she went to uh, Japan Plaza at that time. And so she was like very helpful. She brought it in, and it did pretty well. And so then I'm trying to think, okay, what other products can I do along with this line? Because it's good not to just bring in one product. Sure. You need to have a supporting lineup. Even if it's a product that's not going to sell great, it's nice to have a presentation, right? So we brought in a few lines. We started doing like soaps and uh, bath bombs, but they're super labor intensive. And we just eventually grew the line and we had to cut the losers out of the, the lineup. Did you make your own soaps? Yeah, so we were doing soaps. You made them here? Yeah. That must have been very interesting, but consuming. Yeah, time consuming. Like for the first year, I was making like next to nothing and working all the time. But that's what's involved in trying to learn how Start to do things. Up. Yeah, starting it up, sure. right? And, and initial uh, investment. And I wasn't expecting to make money back in the first year. I told really? me, yeah, I said, when we start this up, I said, I'll give it three years. Woo. I said, like, the first year, I'm not going to make any money. First year, I didn't take a payroll. I just um, worked. I, yeah, worked. And then actually, I lo loaned the company money. Hmm. And then I was like, first, my goal for the first year was for the company to pay me back. Then the second year, but from the year one, we had, uh, I think we picked up an employee and then May. So, of course, May's got to get paid, right? Of and course. so does the, the worker. So I always have to make sure that we can make payroll. We wanted to pay our health insurance, utilities, uh, cell phone bills, stuff like that. And then year two, I started taking um, a half check, like half of... What you wanted well, a month? Well, sorry, I didn't start taking a paycheck till year three. Mm. But the company had already gotten profitable. By it's like at the end of each year, I had to like loan money to the company just right. to to keep it propped, 
and then by by year two it was profitable by year three now it's doing pretty good mm. so and still selling soap no we cut that that product okay. early on what were you selling at that point so in the third year we added on like lotion body butter uh, coconut oil these were things that are easier to work with and then the other problem with soap is like there's a lot of damages there's a shelf life wow. and once the product starts to change in its appearance then you got to pull the product otherwise it's defacing your your brand right 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 so we started doing that and then uh, we wanted to keep it uh, that product line was going to be a, a made in Guam product line so we had to go through the the process with uh, the Gita um, and they're very helpful the the girls the certificates there, yeah they they help walk us through it and stuff and they will come out and they want to see as you're making it like the process and so they're very patient with me because like they'll come and they'll spend the day like it takes very long right and oh yeah they're like oh we're so hungry and stuff so <laughs> but the girls are great and so they, they would come out and then even then they have a lot of feedback and it's always good to just listen to, I guess, the feedback. And then they'll say, hey, what, what about this? And some of it's like, oh, I've tried that. It's not mm -hmm. going to work. Mm -hmm. And then other things are like, oh, well, you could try like this. So they're always trying to help the locals here try to figure out uh, products that could sell. The hard thing is, is convincing the buyers that this is something that the tourists would want. And so you kind of have to look at who's your end demographic. Mm -hmm. So we started uh, building out the product line. And I went back to Erico again, and also the buyer for it was uh, JP Superstore. And they said that we are pushing the um, foodstuffs, and we want something that's going to be uh, foodstuffs. And I, this is the struggle I've had throughout all the years I've been doing business. I hate foodstuff because it's too much work, a lot of damages, you got time working against you and um, there's a lot of returns and you know things just go bad so I started expiration yeah, dates right that's always against you and the problem with expiration dates is a product may not expire yet but just because there's one with a newer expiration date now that one's like destined to just sit there forever right mm -hmm. everyone that's what we always do we check the expiration date we want the newest one right and so you know it could still not be expired for three months out but it's just going to sit there. But your mind has told you it's it's an inferior product. Yeah. So uh, that's why I've tried doing chocolate in the past and it just wasn't worth it. Like all my profits went to returns. And then you have the whole storage issue. You have to worry about climate and stuff. Sometimes they'll put it right next to refrigeration and condensation ruins your packaging. And so there's a lot of headache when it comes to food. But they keep asking for it. So I, I try to think, okay, what foodstuffs have no shelf life? Sugar has no shelf life, right? Salt has no shelf life. Um, alcohol, vinegar, but alcohol has um, there's um, high expense in that, and the profit margin is not great in alcohol. So you know, there's a lot of things that actually don't expire, and so I went with salt. So I started doing salts, working with salts. Was it exploratory at first, salt? Uh, because it's one of the products that don't have a shelf life. Yeah. So that was my number one was no shelf life. And a lot of times when I go on vacation, this business has kind of ruined me. Like when I see souvenirs, I'll see souvenirs and all I can picture in my mind is like, I know the real cost of that 
$5 keychain is 50 cents in China. I'm not going to pay for that, right? <laughs> and May's like, oh, it's souvenirs. You know, I'm like, no, I'm in the souvenir business. I'm not buying that. Yeah. But I will, every time I do go sh- on a vacation, I love going uh, to the souvenir shops to see, like, what's selling, what's selling right? Mm-hmm. And I, I'll take pictures of everything. I'm always trying to get ideas. And then I went to Hawaii, and I saw that they were doing salt. And I looked at it, and I was like, hey, this is pretty good packaging. It was about maybe a year and a half later after all the development, we finally got it in, started working with it. And then the next thing we started doing was, during that time, I had gone to Hawaii several times and uh, was interested in the honey. And I found out that honey has no expiration date. But it does have a problem with crystallizing. Yes. And so... But that can be corrected. Yeah. But the problem is, is if it's colder uh, temperatures, causes it to crystallize a little faster. And a lot of times they'll like to put it near the refrigeration section. I'm like, oh. But anyways, I went to Hawaii. I went to a show in Hawaii. And then I I met with some of the um, honey producers there. Asked them a lot of questions. And then I had come back. DFS had asked me to do honey. And then I I asked around. uh, At the time, I only knew uh, just like one or two beekeepers. And I asked them about production here. And production is not nearly enough to what um, Tumon needs. And if you have a spot and a shelf on a store and that shelf is empty, that's like the ultimate sin, right? Yes. Like, where's your product? This is dead space. You're losing us money. You can never run out of product. And so we were like, no, we can't do honey. And so we were trying to see if Hawaii could do honey for us. We went up there. The pricing i gave the pricing to duty free that like that's way too expensive it's never gonna work so it just kept getting put on the back burner like it's an idea and it's always there just you know iron iron in the fire yeah and you're like okay maybe we can do this it meets no shelf life and it's a demand that people want but i never really pursued it and i I never really wanted to and then my mom she went to uh korea and they were visiting some friends and some uh family and my dad um, was on, on base, and they're like, what do you want? And they're like, can you get us Johnny Walker and U.S. Grade A honey? And then I was like, that kind of stood out to me, that, oh, they, they like honey here. And so then they're like, oh, yeah, the Koreans love honey. And so I was like, oh. So for Koreans, a lot of times, honey is more than just adding flavor to uh, food. They think of it in terms of almost like medicinal, right? right. Because there are a lot of good properties in honey. Mm-hmm. And then I went to, um, I started doing a lot more research. And then I met with some of my suppliers out of Hong Kong and asked them. And when I was there, I was looking for packaging for honey. And then the, the guys who asked me in um, Hong Kong, they're like, you're, you're doing honey? I'm like, well, I'm looking at packaging ideas. And they're like, we would be interested in purchasing honey. And I'm like, I can't even supply Guam. We're not going to be able to supply China, right? right. But I'm like, why, why would China want honey from us? Because China is one of the biggest producers of honey. India is also, the those are the top two uh, producers of honey. But they're also have no trust. In of the, their own product? Yeah, of the product. Like, because they're notorious for messing with things. Like adding... Additives. Yeah, sugar water, diluting <sighs> it. You know, and so in their mind, it's funny because like in China... They don't want to buy things in China. And so they'll come down to Hong Kong 
and buy things that were made in China and just truck down to Hong Kong. But they'll go down to Hong Kong to buy it. And then they have tons of luggages. You'll see them at the border, bringing them back and going through customs. It's funny that way. And so... The psychology of yeah, people, huh? Even so, what one of the ladies I do business with in Hong Kong, she said what they started doing was selling the product in um, China, labeled as Hong export Hong Kong product, and they still don't trust it. Mm. And so they, they, they don't believe that. So they'll still go down to Hong Kong, she said, and bring it back. Mm. But anyway, so they have a distrust of their honey. China so, and India both? Yeah, so then I started doing research on it. And like, oh, okay, so why do they distrust it? Oh, and then that's when I learned about the U.S. grade A standard. And then that's what stuck out to me, right, when they said what they wanted from base. They want U.S. grade A. What base? Um, from the Korea base when my parents went up to Korea. The military to visit. base. Yeah. Okay. They're like, bring us the honey. And they want the big one, honey. And it's so expensive there in Korea. So then my mom told me, why don't you, why don't you look into honey? And I was like, well, I've kind of been thinking about it for a while. But yeah, we'll see. So then um, I went out to Thailand. And the guy that um, I sold my business to, me and Juan, we went out to Thailand. And we were looking for... He said that he wanted to take me there to this one food show to get ideas for things that I could do. So we were looking into like taro chips because that was popular in Hawaii. But we found out like it's a problem with like turning rancid and I don't want to deal with shelf life. So we're looking at all kinds of stuff in Thailand. And also um, DFS Palau had wanted us to go out there looking for these little glass um, uh, like dolphin sculptures and stuff. So we're out there and then... um, one of the guys I've been trying to be in communication with was uh, a beekeeper in the West Coast. And then I just saw like a little logo insignia on his shirt. And I'm like, I could have swore I've seen that before. I bet you I've, I've been emailing this guy. And so I just walked up to this guy. I met him in Thailand. He was in the middle of a meeting. I'm like, hey, when you get a second, can I, can I talk to you? And he's like, yeah, okay. And I just waited for him to finish his meeting. He came out. He's, he's a very gracious old man, and I, I talked to him, and he's like, oh, I'm retired. He's like, you've been emailing my son. He runs oh. the business now. And he's like, I just like to come out to these food shows to yeah. see what's going on, you know. And he's kind of like, my mom can't let go of the business. And I found out he's still... He gets still, in the blood, huh? Yeah, so it's the business that he started up. He started out as a beekeeper, and he grew it into this uh, big um, business, turned it over to his son. And... Uh, I was saying, you know, I'm interested in doing something with honey, but I noticed that it's um, like in order for us to bring the honey to Guam and try to do something with it to make it more like a, a Guam product, we have to like flavor the honey. That's the idea I was thinking about getting into first. So I just don't have honey. I have multiple product lines. So I asked him about that and he's telling me, oh, it's simple, you know, and he's trying to explain to me the process, but he had to go. And so... I, I just kind of had that bug in my brain. But still, at this point, I'm not working with honey. And we basically didn't find anything at the show. We were like looking at... Then I was, That's about the time when I got into coconut oil. Okay. I was like, you know, I'm going to do coconut oil. And so I can only focus on so many projects at a time. So that's when honey went back to the back burner again. And I came out with a coconut oil, like a like massaging oil kind of line. And then... Um, Which, you, by the way, you never got one for eucalyptus. Eucalyptus. I love the smell of eucalyptus when I'm getting a massage. Oh, I haven't even, I don't think I've ever purchased eucalyptus oil. But we had started picking up some different oils to tinker with. So we came back from that trip 
and that's when I went into the coconut oil for the the bath line so at this time we're still just kind of focusing on the bath line the salt line and then we finally I was just trying to do lots of research on where I could get honey I found honey and now I know I have to get US grade A honey because I asked the buyers like what is it that they're looking for and because I'm like you guys have honey here and they're like oh they don't like this one this one's from Canada I'm like, but Canada's right next to the U.S. And they're like, no, it has to say U.S. grade A because there's a standard. And the U.S. holds that standard. That's why China trusts it, right? And the other countries trust it because they will certify the honey. They'll, they'll do like tests on it to make sure that, you know, you haven't tinkered with it. So I was like, okay, I did some more research, found some. I brought it out. We started um, selling it to, I'm trying to remember who's the first one that picked it up. I think it might have been some of the hotels they picked it up and it, it did all right and then but now I have a product but I want to see what else can I do with this product because I always want to do more than just one product line right and then that's a lot of times how we find our winners so we find our losers you just try something and see if it works so I tried infusing it with like noni and so we'd pick noni and stuff and you have to learn the process but you don't want to water down the honey because water water will ruin the honey so then I looked into how do I dehydrate noni and stuff. Oh, but if you use heat, you destroy the properties of the noni. So we have to like, oh, how do you cold dehydrate uh, noni? So we're like doing all this stuff. Tried it out. Didn't really sell too well. Mm. But It we, probably changed the taste, right? Yeah, it changes the taste like significantly. Make it bitter? Well, it makes the honey not gro- uh, the noni not gross. Oh. So when you taste the, the, the sweetness from the, the honey, you're like, oh, this is an interesting honey. But it's because it's got the noni in noni. there. Yeah. So the noni flavor is what the people don't like. Yeah. You tried noni? I've tried raw noni. Noni yes. is nasty. It's nasty. Yeah. And it the smells scent, nasty. Oh, the scent is nasty. Yeah. So the, what happened was we started looking into noni as a product. Even till now, that's a very popular product with the tourists. So that's why I was trying to think, what can I do with noni? Because it's really helpful. Yeah. I mean, they have a lot of good properties in it, but it's awful. Yeah, so that's what we were trying to look at. And I was like, well, I'll just try to see if I can match these up. Because I had seen a company in New York doing um, pepper in the honey to make a spicy one. Mm. So I was like, maybe I'll try that. So I, I tried making a pika one. I was trying to think, what what flavors can I do? So I did a ah, pika honey. I was going to say a dinanchi. Yeah. yeah, so we did uh, the noni. We did cinnamon. We did ginger. And then we're just trying to do all these different things. And we were just testing it out. And we did it at a food show, and then DFS saw it, and then they they asked, they're interested in it. And then ABC saw it, and they said, they're interested in it. So, you know, I'm thinking, oh, this is a grand slam. You know, it's like, honey's great, all of these things, like noni and stuff is great, and DFS wants it, ABC wants it, and they're like, as soon as you can get it to us, we want it. So, put it in the stores, didn't sell. Oh. And so, you know you're you're out a lot of time and a little and some money you're out of that too but you know you just chalk it up to a, a loss but then um when we were at the show i noticed a lot of people asking hey is this is this guam honey i'm like no this is a u.s grade a honey that's what we bring in is u.s grade a and they're like oh why don't you do guam honey and i'm like well we've kind of looked into that we asked around and like there's not enough supply and then on top of that because there's so much time involved and you know we don't have the big enough um, facility to where we can make production faster, which brings down a lot of costs. 
it's like it's so expensive local honey so i'm like and then i gotta make my cut off of it and then i got the store's gotta make their cut off of it by the time you're gonna get it it's gonna be so expensive, expensive. no customer would buy it so who was asking for the local honey? Just random people walking by at the fair. Oh, street people. Yeah. Okay. And I was kind of surprised because I was like, I didn't even realize that locals would be interested in the the local honey. And even at that time, I, I knew very little about local honey other than uh, the one buyer who's been asking me forever to bring in this honey, right? Mm. But she was always buying from Guablakinki. Oh, yes. That's yeah. right. And so she's like, oh, you got to try it. It's very different. And I'm like... In my mind, honey is honey. You know, there's not different flavors. Oh, yes, there is. And then um, finally I tried local honey and I was like, hey, this this is interesting. Why does it taste like that? And they're yep. like, oh, that's that's Guam honey. I was like, hey, that's pretty good. Because I'm not a, a big sweet tooth. So right, right. I was just kind of blown away. I was like, oh, that's interesting. I'm not much of a honey either myself. But because Paul, I've tried Paul's honey. I really do like it. It's just that it's very sweet and I'm not a sweet tooth either. Yeah. Yeah, I'm always like a, a salty snacker. So am I, yeah. I like the savory snack. Yeah, but anyway, so I was kind of interested that like, oh, in interesting that some some uh, locals are asking about this because to me, I, I never really thought too much of it. Stay where you are. The conversation continues with Arlene Live when we come back. What's up, fellow online addicts? I'm Asha, and it's literally my job to scour the internet every day to see what you guys are saying about our stories and to see what you're snarking on. If you got beef with a particular island issue, we'll give your voice an extra boost on trend spotting. It's our weekly rundown of everything that's got you buzzing and what conversations you can't look away from. From the serious to the silly, from ludicrous news to legit headlines, from the weirdest Instagram posts to the most retweeted stories, to the insane DMs we get, we're going to show you the deeper side of what's making group chats, what's trending, and what you're sharing. So check out Trendspotting on YouTube, on Facebook Live, and on IGTV, all at KUAM News. If you've got something to say, sound off. We'll find you. And now, back to your show right here on the KUAM Podcast Network. The conversation continues now on the KUAM Podcast Network with Arlene Live. Around that time, there was a company from Australia called, um, I want to say it's called Flowhive. So they did a Kickstarter thing. And it's like this um, this hive that's made all out of like plastic, and the bees like load it up with honey, and then you just like turn this key, and the honey flows out. And I'm like, that's great, you know? Why don't I just invest in a ton of those, and then we can have Guam honey, and I don't have to do any work because <laughs> beekeeping is a lot of work. It is. And I'm like, that's a genius thing. I'll just buy a ton of those and problem solved. So I started looking into that, and I ordered me one, and then. Now I got to get bees, right? So I'm like, oh, where do I get bees? And so I was trying to find anyone or any, anywhere I could find bees. I couldn't get any bees from anyone. And so finally I asked um, Randy Cantonita. So I'm like, hey, Randy, because he does uh, yard, work. yard work and maintenance. He's always out and about. Mm -hmm. And um, I was like, if ever you see bees, you let me know. Because 
from what I hear is I gotta catch a wild swarm. Yes. And then he's like, I've never seen one of those. And I'm like, me neither. I said, <laughs> I've been here forever. I've never seen a swarm. I'm looking it up online and this is what they look like. Right. If you ever see one of these, let me know. And he's like, okay. And then I, I tracked down Mr. Long because Mr. Long's the one I remember from school that did uh, bees. So Willie we, Long? Yeah. Uh, he used to be my PE teacher, Mr. Long. Oh. And so I'm like, this is the, the my last chance I'm going to ask. So I ask him, but he's gone. He's retired. But I recognized a few of the old staff that worked there. And he's like, oh, he owns a landscaping business. And they drew me a map to his house. Yeah. And so I just r- rolled up into his, his house. And Should I, have asked me. He does the yard right next door. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He told me that, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So I went there and then I asked him and then... I said, uh, hey, can I buy one of your hives or buy something and just get my hive started? But he's like, no. He's like, um, I'm not really selling any bees. And he's like, but you can catch yourself a, a swarm. I'm like, wow. Same thing, right? Same answer. Catch your, catch, find a swarm in the wild and then and catch it. I'm Did like, you ask him where you could go to catch a swarm? Yeah, he's like, you just have to keep your ears to the ground and like because it's like a season that they'll be swarming and he's uh. like just have your your equipment ready i'm like oh i've been i've had it ready and so and by this time how long have you had the equipment i've had it for probably about four months four okay. or five months okay that's not so bad and so then um i that's when i i asked randy i was like hey randy if you see this because we were crabbing at the time we were doing some coconut crab right. hunting so i was like hey if you see this let me know and he's like okay i've never seen that i'm like yeah me neither but we'll see and then it just so happened the next day um, there was a swarm at Randy Abid's house and they had a family gathering and they're passing this phone around like hey look at what's in my yard and it's on his coconut tree and I was at a dinner and then all of a sudden Randy's like blowing up my phone and he's like he shows me a picture of the the swarm swarm. on the coconut tree and I'm like (laughs) and so I had just talked to Mr. Long so I called him up I was like hey I found a swarm and he's like already? He's like, I, I didn't think you would find one for about a year. And I was like, no, I just found one. He's like, you found a swarm. He couldn't believe it either. That happened like within 24 hours, right? right. I'm like, yeah, so what do I do? So he told me, he's like, come over. You know, I'm going to explain to you how you catch the swarm. So he's trying to explain it to me. So I'm like all ready to get the swarm. I got like full on gear and my heart is pumping. Randy a bit is there too. And he's like, you got to catch it quick because... It might be there only 24 hours right. or less. It's yeah, gonna, they move. It's going to go, right? Right. So I get there. Uh, he says, get there early in the morning so that you can get a chance of catching most of them before they're... Should get it at night. Yeah, he says before they, they, they take off, right? Right. So he's like, before sun comes up, you, you get Because they harvest. They go out. Yeah, so I, I went there, had my box all propped up. It's on the side of the coconut tree. Man, I'm just like full on covered. Randy's off in the distance, like trying to camcord it. And I'm thinking, as soon as I swipe them down... These are like, you know, you think like flies are just going to be everywhere. And they're going to yeah. be like trying to kill everyone. And I swapped them down and they just fell into the box. Anticlimactic? Like, yeah, I was like, is that it? <laughs> <laughs> what was did like, you do? So you, he, Did he, you shake something and they fell in? That would have, uh, no, it wasn't on a branch. It was on the trunk of the tree. Oh, how did you so them down? So that's why Mr. Long's like, just shake the branch. And I'm like, oh, it's on the coconut tree. I'm, so he said, cut a piece of cardboard. And cut out like where uh, the shape, a semicircle, like oh. following the shape of the trunk of the tree. And he's like, just one time, just stiffly like knock him into the box. Now, if the queen goes into the box, then all the other bees yes. will follow, right? And he's like, if 
if you don't get it the first time, just wait and they'll all reform where the queen's at and try again. So I was like, okay. So we do it and then I'm just like surprised that that's, that's what happened. They just all went into the box and then Randy a bit, he's surprised too. He's like, is that it? Because he's expecting, you know, for me to, I was telling him like, hey, tell Maybelline I love her if, you know, <laughs> if I die here. And then yeah, I'm like, you get your whole body yeah. covered with them. And I'm like, and don't show anyone that video. So then... <laughs> We knock it in, and he is, uh, so he's surprised nothing happened. I'm surprised nothing happened. We look in the box, and they all just kind of go into the box. So I'm like, oh, I must have got the queen. Right. So then we just taped it all up, put it on a truck, drove it home, set it up there. And this was right before we were going off island. Mm. And it was kind of a nightmare because a typhoon had rolled through. And my dad is trying to pick up this hive and walk it into my warehouse. And I'm just picturing my mind like he's going to trip or something and get yes. stung to death. And then same thing happened when we went out to YouTube. We went out there to do the relief work for uh, rebuilding the homes. And Where? In Saipan. Oh. Yeah. So the YouTube uh, relief. And then um, during that time, that's when they had the second storm rolling through. Same thing. My dad's like carrying all the hives into the warehouse. Um, I'm like, we got to figure out a better system. How many hives? So by the time YouTube happened, there must have been f- four. I can't remember how many we've got at that time. And your dad said, stop leaving. <laughs> yeah, he's like, every time you leave, there's typhoon. So, yeah. And I have to carry these things. So, you know, we um, started in January. I was like, uh, I, I never expected for it to, as hard as it was to get started, I never expected for it to, you know, take off. And I just wanted to just do it as a, a hobby. And then I found that it, from all the YouTube videos, like I would just be up at night a lot of times I'm just doing research for product ideas and packaging ideas and I got hooked on learning about bees and I'd be there and this is when May says she knew that I was on to it like I'm gonna pursue it was because I'll be there looking at my phone and I'll pause and I'm like hey babe did you know this about bees and I'm like I've never been like a studious uh, child growing up like doing studying and stuff I was always about cartoons and you know PlayStation <laughs> and now I'm like really look looking into a lot of research studying about these bees and i find them so fascinating like everything that they're doing and like so purposeful and i stop the video hey babe check this out and i'm showing her videos so she's like oh no he's gonna this is gonna be his new thing this is real yeah so that's when i i really got into it and then we were still just at that time probably one or two hikes and then um we posted i think Around the time of our first honey harvest was going to probably be, or close to the first honey harvest, I think it was in August, we caught the hive, August of last year, and then uh, by the time it got to December, it was getting close to time where I can harvest. So I thought, you know what I want to do? If I could turn this into something that could be a business, I thought it would always be cool to... um, document it from infancy yes because someone had asked me actually tons of people always ask me oh we want to start our own business how do you do it and you know there's not just one way but i thought if this could be a business this would be a cool way to like document from the infancy so i showed the very first photo was the cluster of bees on the side of the coconut tree and then just through the last year we're like let's just start this up on instagram and just see how it goes yeah, it started getting really popular. Another beekeeper, I think he's the found, founding member of the Beekeepers Association. What's his name? Chris Rosario. 
Oh, Chris. Yeah. Okay. So he just contacted us, and he's like, "Hey, I through Instagram he found us, and he's like, "Hey, I I um I'm a part of this beekeepers association. Can I add you to the chat and stuff?" I'll be like, "Oh, that's great." So he invited me on, and then it's great. Like when we were meeting all these other beekeepers, came about the time that I was just uh, ready to harvest. harvest, right? So I harvested. And then I went over and I'm like, I'm trying to look for a label because all of my labels is from my U.S. grade A honey, right? And so I'm like, I, I, I want to put a label on here because we were trying to do it like just handwritten style. And then everyone was like, oh, this is an ugly label. When are you going to get a new label? So I was like, okay, we'll, we'll look for a label. So I went around the island looking to all the print shops just to, to see if we could get some labels made because all the labels I get from uh, off-island, like my minimums are like, 10k labels or something and what do you mean 10k 10,000 10, yeah wow. and then so they do like big print runs you're getting mm. them cheap high quality but they want big investment right and then there's lead time you got to wait for it to come sure. in and then you find out like oh i don't like how this looks i'm going to change it that's too many stickers that you just trash right right so i'm like okay well just actually i think what we first did was we were crossing out u.s grade a honey and writing in you know it looks so cheesy and so they're like, you need to get a new label. And so I, I priced, priced it out on Island. And then I went to um, Hoffaday Science. And then they, they gave me a quote. How long can you get it done? They're like, right, right away. So I said, like, okay, great. So these are the guys I'm going to go to. So I came back after I had my design because I have to give them a layout and everything. I came back and they're like, oh, hold on. Um, you're the honey guy, right? And I was like, yeah. They're like, hold on my boss wants to see you so I was like okay so I'm like where is he coming down oh no he's not here he's driving to the shop so I was like okay so I just waited and then uh, in comes in the owner Rod and so Rod's like he's like hey you're, you're the honey guy and I was like yeah and it just turns out he had just gotten into bees at the same time as me ah. and so we just kind of had like a fast friendship right from there and then um, we actually did our first extraction uh, together. We found also from online. So I was like, hey, look what we saw inside of a wall. So me and him, actually Mae was like so game because we were doing a staycation that day. Mm. And I was like, babe, can, can we leave from the hotel and, <laughs> and do this extraction? And she's like, uh, you're going to leave the hotel? And I was like, yeah. And I was like, and can you come and film it? <laughs> so <laughs> she like, you know, she came and we first started out with our suits on but then it kind of got hot and so we took our suits off and she's like filming the whole process and then um yeah so that was the first one that me and rod did so we split that hive and then after that he got a call for one and he's like hey can you help me with one and so we helped him take one out of behind uh is that fd the one in Thai. the right behind there we did one and then you know danny leon guerrero yes the Mighty. one yeah so his house was like so many bees. Oh, I, really? I've never seen anything like that. It had probably, I think there was over 10 hives there. Wow. And so, you know, the soffit on the outside yes. of the house yes. is all that wood. Yes. They had built all inside there and there was tons of hives. But the problem is, is that there's no crane that could get us up high enough. Oh. So we had to like look around the island. We found a crane. A bucket cup? A bucket yeah, a bucket truck. But it has to be truck. able, can't be the one that's holding the cage has to be from underneath oh so we found a guy turns out his brother and father i think used to do bees back in the day it's like it's great we're finding out all these people have They're all bees. happening and coming yeah. together and so even like when i was um 
How I Met Your Nephew, Tano. Mm -hmm. Nuts and Grains had contacted us through Instagram asking if they could sell our honey. And that was that was great because that was around the time when May was having to like go and drive to meet someone to like give them a bottle of honey and then I'll have to go meet someone else, drive and meet them. And it's her whole day is just like delivering bottles of honey. <laughs> so like, man, we can't do this no more. We need to get a location. And so uh, Nuts and Grains like that, like a couple days later contacted us and like, hey, can we sell your honey? So we're like, oh, that solves our problems. So we started selling there. And then I was walking by and uh, Rod had just told me that Asiga is just opening up. And he just did their sign. He's like, hey, it's a coffee shop. Why don't you ask them? So I went into Asiga and then I said, hey, would you be interested in, in uh, selling local honey? And he wasn't really interested at first. But he was like, hey, you know what? I'm really interested in bees, though. Because Chris helped him get bees out of his mom's house. Who's Chris? Uh, Chris Rosario, oh, uh, okay. the founding member of the Beekeepers yeah, Association. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I was like, it's like such a small, Guam's a small place, but like... But all of a sudden, yeah, you're in a circle here. Yeah, and like we're meeting everyone and somehow like bees has like affected a lot of people in one way or another. But he's like, I really want bees. And at this time, I think I probably was at maybe seven or eight hives. And so I said, okay, well, why don't I put a beehive at your property? And because he asked if if I wouldn't mind putting one on his land, and I said, well, as long as it's not going to be like people are going to come and disturb. He's like, no, it's very private. Is this in Barragata? Yeah. So he's like, can you put one up on my land? And I said, sure. And then I said, if you want, you can come with me a few times. I said, I'm still learning as we go. Uh, a lot of it, I, my wealth of knowledge is from other beekeepers or from YouTube. But like, you know, if you want to shadow me while we do this a couple times, which he did, and then. I said, once this hive is strong enough, because I started this hive from scratch, right? I'm like, once this hive is strong enough, then you can split this hive, and then you have a hive for yourself if you're still interested. So we were just talking about that uh, the other day, and he says that he still wants one, but he wants it at his house yeah. down south, right? So I, I'm supposed to be making a split for him as soon as he gets his box ready. Okay. So uh, he's going to be a new beekeeper. And then, um, you know, um, Calvin and Joanne? Yes. So she really wants bees. Oh, for... And she's wanted it for a long time. Oh. Like, she has her box, and it says Ari'i 2000... I think 2005 on it. Really? That's how long she's been wanting the bees, because her father used to have bees on the farm. Oh, my goodness. And she wants Corbin to, to have course. this, yeah? Um, it's funny. Like, we never posted our faces on Instagram. We just wanted it to be its own thing. And then see, like, we don't want people to start following it, because, you know, they feel obligated. Sure. Oh, Micah's thing I have to follow this so we just put it out let it do its own thing organically what's wrong with that no we just wanted to see how well it does all on its own right so then um Joanne was, uh, started following it and then I told her I was like hey um did you want bees or something because she kept asking questions on the thing and then she's wondering why I'm asking her questions <laughs> She didn't know. Yeah, it was she you. didn't know it was me, and I was like, "Oh, that, that's that's my Instagram." And she's like, "She's like, oh, I really want bees." She said she finally had bees that she was gonna catch, and her neighbor poisoned them. Oh, before she could catch them, and oh. then she's never been able to catch them since. Of course. And so I told her, "Okay, so we we set her with some uh, frames. I took her box to my house and then loaded it up with some bees, and then she." It was funny because we at this time we're already doing a lot of hive extractions, taking them out of homes for right, people, right? Right. But for her, she has a duplex and she's putting it in the home. Oh. Yeah, because she's afraid that someone's going to steal her beehive. Oh. I'm like, uh, uh, normally we take bees out of homes. We don't put them <laughs> in homes. 
And so I put that on the chat. They were thinking that's funny. That's the first time we're putting bees in a house. So she like chambered off this room, opened up the window so they can have a flight path in and out. Sure. And so she's got her beehive there. She's got her suit. She's good to go. And so... She's going to teach Corbin? Yeah, she's going to teach Corbin. Oh, cool. So... He'll be the youngest beekeeper. Yeah. So uh, hopefully... Uh, there's no allergies there. Oh, but, yeah, Because bee true. allergies are, are nothing to play around with. But, yeah, yeah so dangerous. we got her set up. So hopefully, uh, I went out there and checked on it. She said that the queen that I had given her was laying, but she couldn't find where it went. So she thinks something might have happened to it. Mm. And then just around that time, there was a farm up in Jigo that had asked us if we could put bees on their property. And uh, they said, like, I talked to some other beekeepers and they're like, no, don't put it on the farmer's land because I'm hearing all these horror stories. Like some of them have been stolen. Mm. Sometimes the farmers have used pesticides and it kills all the bees. Another one had put it inside of a greenhouse, not knowing that you're not supposed to move the hive and all the bees died. So they're like, no, don't do it. But it's my good friend that I've known since a child and I trust him. Well, and you have to teach him. Yeah. And so he's like, no, we're not going to touch it. No one's going to come here just off in the off in the side so i said okay well i said i'll use one first we'll see how it goes and then if it does well then then we can um put another hive there so okay so let's talk about that for just a bit because what about the pesticides that he uses to keep the other bugs at bay if the bees go to the flowers or get the nectar from the plants will that in affect the quality of the honey Usually it's going to kill your bees. Okay. And so what I was told was the way you can find out if the, they're using pesticides, which is killing the bees, is right in front of the hive. You'll see a lot of dead bees. But the drones die a lot anyway. Yeah. The drones, even like the, the they'll kill off their own drones. Right. Yeah. Like sometimes you'll see the bees just like kicking out all these guys. Right. Right. Um, Pretty unnerving to think that you're dispensable like that. Right? Yeah. Well, the drones, they don't do anything. They have no purpose other than to meet with the queen. And so they just hang around the hive all day, you know, just eating and then not really working. They they're don't contribute. Weight. Yeah. And so <laughs> it gets to a point where they're like, okay, we don't need you guys. And we they have just, too many. Yeah. Just kick them out. Do they sting them and kill them? Uh, from I'm, what I've seen, I haven't seen them stinging them. What I've seen them is they're, they're like literally dragging them out. Like you'll see three bees, like just dragging the drone bee out. And then they just kick him out of the hive. And so, so they're, they're he like cannot banished. go back in. Yeah. They won't come back because there's actually guard bees that control what can come in and out. So And so if they don't go back into the hive, they die? They have no food source. Ah. Uh. And so what they're in there, sometimes a nurse bee will give them a little bit of food or they got nectar and pollen all there because they don't do any harvesting or anything. And usually, so, yeah, once it comes, a certain time of the year, they'll start kicking them out. Usually, I think it's before the rainy season. So the moral of the story is it's not worth it being a stud, huh? Yeah. Because once they mate with the queen, uh, they have a horrible death too. Oh. Yeah. So they mate with the queen and as they're uh, disconnecting, yeah, just all rips out. So, yeah, he's got a, a cushy life. But not <laughs> but a long life. A horrible ending, yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. if he doesn't do his job, he eventually will die. And if he does his job, he'll he's die. He's going to die for yeah. sure. This is Arlene Live, and we've got more coming up in just a moment.
What's up, fellow online addicts? I'm Asha, and it's literally my job to scour the internet every day to see what you guys are saying about our stories and to see what you're snarking on. If you got beef with a particular island issue, we'll give your voice an extra boost on trend spotting. It's our weekly rundown of everything that's got you buzzing and what conversations you can't look away from. From the serious to the silly, from ludicrous news to legit headlines, from the weirdest Instagram posts to the most retweeted stories to the insane DMs we get, we're going to show you the deeper side of what's making group chats, what's trending, and what you're sharing. So check out Trendspotting on YouTube, on Facebook Live, and on IGTV, all at KUAM News. If you've got something to say, sound off. We'll find you. And now, back to your show right here on the KUAM Podcast Network. Now, more Arlene Live on the KUAM Podcast Network. But yeah, so we put it up at the farm and then um, it, the bees did, they did well. Actually, they did too well. Mm. And I purposely put tons of brood in there to make this uh, hive take off because I wanted to hurry up and jumpstart the uh, honey production. And I didn't check it in time. I checked it and it's like, okay, they're ready for the second floor. When I came back, they had swarmed on me. And that was actually, it was, it was a bummer that I lost the half the hive. They just took off. But when I had come back, the queens have just hatched. And so there's this uh, thing that the bees do, and it's pretty rare, but I, I got the chance to hear it. And it's like almost like the queen bee is like, uh, they call it like crying or something. And she's making this really loud noise. And What's it sound like? Oh, man, I can't even... Can't just, it's kind of like a bleeding, like a uh, high-pitched vibrating kind of sound like, like what try to mimic it uh I, you have to look it up on youtube no we have to record it um uh, what is it, is kinda, it it's like a trumpeting kind of like a. is it loud it, it's it's not loud like where it's going to hurt your ears okay. but it's just like it's you can hear it you know it's, it's coming. like if your cell phone is is vibrating it's much louder than that okay and it's louder because you the hive is all uh, buzzing and it's way louder than all than of that. Hive. It goes right mm. through. And so what it is, is they do that when there's more than one queen in the hive. And so that's pretty rare because usually when the queen hatches, the first thing she does is she goes around, she kills all of the competition. Right. But sometimes what the bees will do is they try to separate the two queens and to avoid the conflict just so that the two can hatch a little bit. Just uh, And then sometimes one side will swarm out or sometimes they just kind of preserve it for a little while just to keep their numbers safe. But the two queens, I think they're aware of each other. And so they're like calling out like, hey, come on. Let's duke it out. <laughs> yeah, what are you looking at? <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> and so when there is too much uh, bees population in a confined space and because of the box, they can't expand it on their own. Right. They're like, okay, it's too crowded. We're running out of space. Hot. Yeah, and then also the a new queen, she's laying tons of eggs, right? Maybe like 2,000 eggs a day. She's just laying eggs all day. And so the population is exploding, and they're like, okay, we got to get out of here. Mm. So the old queen, um, she'll, there'll be like new queens that are about to hatch, and then 
she'll take off with half of the population. Mm-hmm. They'll swarm, they'll find a new location, and then hopefully some guy who's been looking for bees for six months will stumble across it and then, you know, snatch him up. And then the new queen, she has to go out, find one of those lazy drones that doesn't do any work, and it's not usually a drone from her own hive. Ah. It's going to be from another hive, right? And that way that the genetics that's are always right. changing out. And so that's why no drones eyes. No reality in there. Yeah, and they're ge- the drones eyes, you can spot them out because they got these giant eyes. Their eyes are bigger so that they can have an easier time spotting the queen and flying around, right? And so she'll mate up with like several drones in one, one flight. And from all the times that she mates with all these drones, they all die after they mated with her. And then um, she stores all of that drone um, sperm inside of her. And throughout her life, she could live uh, maybe five, six, seven years. She's laying the eggs. And she can lay like maybe around 2,000 eggs a day. And she can tell if it's going to be a boy or a girl by choosing to add the sperm to her egg before she lays it. Wow. So if it's going to be a drone, which is a male bee, then she lays an unfertilized egg and then it'll grow to be a drone. And then if she needs a worker bee, which most of the hive, maybe over 90% is going to be female, then she fertilizes it and then it's going to grow up to be that. So worker bees are females? Yeah. So almost the whole hive is female. What percentage drone to the females? I would say less than 5%, but it fluctuates. So that's one of the ways you can identify if your hive is going to swarm. There'll be a lot of drones in there. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, oh no, there's a lot of drones. Now you start looking for, is there also queen cells, you know? And then you can tell they're about to swarm. So. When you see that, do you have to add the frames? Yeah, you got to continue to give them more space, but you don't want to give them too much space because there's not enough bees to take care of everything, right? So you just try to give them a little bit more than what they need. You got to anticipate their needs. And if they swarm on you, then usually it's because you haven't been checking and you haven't had time to, to give them more space. What is a comfortable population size? Well, I've been told recently that my beehives are getting too strong and that I need to cut it back because that's why I like right now swarm season and I had like three hives that want to swarm on me and one that did up in Jigo right and I'm like opening them up and there's like queen cells everywhere and I mean yes I get another hive but uh, you're also slowing down your honey production right Right. so I think they said uh, strong hives can range between like 60 to 80,000 bees in a hive but that's like a really strong hive. And how many? They have uh, nukes, which are five frame. Huh. And then they have uh, uh, 10 frame boxes, which is mostly what I'm running is 10 frame. Mm-hmm. And they also have eight frame. And then they also have uh, like the large size, which is uh, about nine inches tall. Mm-hmm. And then they'll have uh, mediums, which are about uh, maybe six inches tall, five something inches tall. So you don't have skyscraper no hives i think the the highest one i have is probably like four right now Mm -hmm. and the top chamber is i'm just uh putting in some uh, honey scraps for them like the the wax that i've squeezed out all the honey i just let them clean it all up Mm -hmm. and they do such a great job cleaning honey like if you put honey on top of the wood they will clean it to where it's no longer sticky like there's no more residue they don't waste anything yeah they don't waste anything because like the normal bee will last Probably on Guam, its lifespan is maybe like, let's say eight weeks, just slaving away. They, they work themselves to death 
and they'll produce, I think, like one twenty-fourth a teaspoon of honey. Whereas we don't have winter here, but in places where they have winter, during that time they're dormant and they can live throughout the whole winter because they're not working, they're right? Not working. But then once it comes for production season, they just yeah, work themselves to death. Is that where the term comes from? I work don't know. yourself to death? Maybe I don't know. Worker bee. Yeah, worker bee. They're so, true to their name. Let's go back to, a little bit to the labeling. When you when you realize that you could only market U.S. grade A to the Asian market, they're not interested in the Guam produced honey. I don't think that they are really educated on it because there's not too many honeys in the world that are like famous, right? You've got U.S. grade A honey, which is famous. The other one that's very famous is also Manuka honey, which comes out of like New Zealand and it's supposed to be very good uh, health properties and stuff. But, you know, Guam's not on the map for honey production for any special reason. And to me, the flavor is way better than any other honey I've tasted, but we don't have the research showing like it's the most healthiest, like Manuka honey or, you know, things like that. So There's no testing on it. Yeah, and there's not enough mm -hmm. testing that's been done on it. So, and once that's done, you still got to educate the consumer market and tell them that, like, why do you need Guam honey? Why is it the best? So yes, they'll they might come here thinking like, I want to try something new. But a lot of times, when people want to get local honey uh, for health benefits, it's good to get the local honey where you live, because what happens is when you take local honey, you're actually microdosing pollen and things that will make your allergies act up. But if you're buying it on a place you're going on vacation. You come home you take local honey it's not that local honey is not your local area right and so it's not going to help you out with your allergies so the pollutants are in your yeah. area you need to do you need to eat the honey in your area so a lot of the ones who are interested in getting un, unprocessed unheated local raw honey for health benefits they're the cu customer that's educated on that they're going to get it from where they they live mm. and so actually Fruciano is the one who um, told me about that um jared fruciano right we went out to new york and he was popping claritin every day and because the allergies and so in the morning he started taking a teaspoon of honey local honey that's been unprocessed from a, a local uh, beekeeper there and he said he started getting a reaction in his throat and then after that it would clear up and he never had allergies and so he's like i'd rather take a teaspoon of Absolutely. honey in the morning claritin. than popping pills right yeah so i also have allergies and i blame Nimitil for it because I never had allergies until I moved up here mm. and since I moved up here I have to I'm reliant on nasal sprays I used to take Claritin but it didn't work for me I was on Dimetap mm. and then went to something else that was prescribed and so as I talked to you I don't, I don't think I ever really read about the the infusion of honey and all the pollutants and you know the, from the pollen and everything but I'm gonna try that I'm gonna try and take a teaspoon of honey in the morning yeah and then they said if you actually fill something then that's a react you're reacting to reacting the pollen to in pollen, the honey yeah so even um, Kendall Williams in our hall so he was going through this phase recently where his allergies were like super acting up you know and yes. he's like he said he had to go home and wash his eyes like he couldn't keep his eyes open my eyes were swollen yeah. for two and a half to three weeks and so he was looking for local honey and then so i just gave him some and he said that his allergies cleared up whoa and so i said you know that is possible that it's from the honey because um 
you know that's what right. they say it can do but i said maybe also it was just something that was passing through guam but i said i'm not sure and he's like just take the compliment man i'm trying yes, to tell really. you your honey fixed me yeah, so, really. so yeah. when i came back this last trip um from saipan for two and a half three weeks my eyes were swollen they were bloodshot red painful i couldn't work i mean it was almost embarrassing because i needed to sleep all the time to relieve the swelling and I had to take pictures of it to show people this is really what, because you know what I mean. Most people get over a cold or whatever, and mm-hmm. I hear it was two and a half weeks, three weeks. I'm milking this problem, but I, but it really was allergies, and I'm I'm just now clearing out of it. Mm. And I and but tomorrow I'm gonna try. I've got yeah. Paul's honey in the, in the cupboard, and I'm gonna try it. Yeah, they said like it doesn't take much. And it's interesting. Maybe I'll try it before I go to sleep and yeah. see what happens. There was, um, I think it was just starting this year. I forget if it's the U.S. or the U.K. One, one of those, the big pharmaceuticals finally got the permission to start testing microdosing. Right. On, uh, I think it's like peanut and egg, mm. eggshell allergies. Because those they said the science is there if they just start giving like really small doses to build up tolerances. Right. Because those are the kind of allergies that kill people yes and so the peanuts yeah the peanuts and the eggshell and so they're like saying tons of people suffer from this right the science is there so now they're starting testing on it and it's like that's what people have been doing forever with honey right right yeah they've been microdosing right so now it's so do you have to take it multiple times or um well you have to take it once a day the one who uh, turned me on to it he takes it every morning a teaspoon in the morning every day yeah but you know there's worse things well, I'd rather true. take some. I, <laughs> the only reason I the only reason I hesitate is I honestly don't like sweet things. You yeah. know, I'm not a sweet tooth, so it it uh, I I I would prefer to eat a pickle. Why? <laughs> well, spicy pickle, yeah. Yeah, pickle, pickle spicy. P- yeah. Pickle. But you know what the the local honey? What surprised me is, um, to me, it's not as it, it is very sweet, but it's like a light sweet. It's very floral. And it doesn't taste like the the stateside honey, which kind of just tastes like sugar syrup. Right. In right, my opinion, right. it tastes like sugar syrup. Right. right? And so even like uh, the guy who it tastes like Anjamima syrup. Yeah. And so um, the guy who had uh, bought my old business one, I I was very happy to offer him some honey, right? Sure. And so I was like, hey man, check this out. This came from my hive, and he's like, oh, I don't like honey. And so I said, okay, well, then for your family. And then he said when he tasted it, he says he doesn't like the normal honey, right. but he's like, he said he I, loves that honey. I was going to say, I can't, I, I don't think I'd use the um, floral as a description to the honey, but it almost tastes like, what is the, um, I don't, it's not walnut, it's something else in the, in syrup. It's uh, the thick brown. Like molasses style? Not molasses. Molasses is a little more bitter, mm. but it, it has a body. It has some kind of like maple mm. it's almost like mapley but creamy what one thing i've noticed is and it's strange because i didn't know this before but even the honey on guam just different areas has drastically some flavor different flavor profiles oh, okay. and it's funny because like when i was first observing my bees they all follow the same flight path right they mm. all know where to go and then i'll come out like the next week and they're all going a different direction and so you don't know what they're getting into sometimes you'll look on a frame i'll pull up a frame and it's all one color uh, and on the same frame it's a completely different the color pollen. no the honey the honey yeah but and it's because pollen driven 
Oh yeah. So th- their source, their nectar source is is a different source, right? Right. And so, like, what I like to do is in my my harvest now, what I do is I'll find the best looking frames that I can find, like lightest in color. Try to get mostly capped. And then usually, what will happen is uh, if it's all from a brand new wax, like this is the first mm-hmm. time they've they used it, like a virgin wax. They built it out, never had anything in it before. It comes out a very light honey, and so I would always extract that and then do it in the spinner first and then what i'll do is all the other honeys then i'll do it and so we have separate right now you can taste the differences mm. in the honeys and so even though it's so from you're one using ho- color code yeah to make that determination so when i'll look at it i'm like okay so this is uh like an amber color this one is a very light yellow color and then some of them where it's like split in the half i'll put that in towards the amber side and then i'll harvest all the light first then i'll run in the the, the amber shade next and then just this last time uh maybe two two three days ago i I harvested and when i saw it i tasted it normally i always like the light color more Hmm. because it's to me it's very light and the taste i don't know to me this this light one tastes very floral Hmm. and then the next one i tasted it tasted to me like amaretto or like an almond flavor Okay, maybe that's yeah. what I like that one more. I'm more nuttyish. Yeah, I want to say nutty. That's that's so, really the. I asked me, I'm like, does taste this and does it have like a cherry cherry alm- almond flavor? Almond. And she tried it and she's like, oh yeah, that's different. She's like, where's that from? Yeah. I'm like it's from the same hive, but you know, just different color. Yeah. So who knows what they got into that day? But yeah. Okay, so. The label that you use for the USDA, you don't use that for the local honey. So when we first got it, we were just taking permanent marker. When I didn't have any labels, we scratch out the USA honey right in Guam. Then we started saying, okay, what we'll do is we'll do a blank label. And so it just has a logo. And then we can write in, we can like say, hey, what village it came from and everything and make it very personal. We can write it out to so-and-so. Then we're writing a whole bunch of these labels. (laughs) And then someone told me like, Man, that looks so unprofessional. Actually, one of the stores told me, don't bring that in anymore until you get real labels. Uh, I'm like, but this has like a home feel to it, right? So we switched it to real labels. And then everyone else was like, hey, what happened to the handwritten labels? So I was like, you can't make everyone happy, no, right? No, you can't. But, but I have to make the store happy. Because they're buying it from Because they're you. the ones who's going to be putting on the shelf. So Well, maybe you can do that for like the... Um Mango Festival when you have a booth or something and yeah, maybe personalize like it for the so local. One of sometimes the customers will call us and like, hey, can you write it out to my name? Aww. And so we're like, yeah, okay. Well, we still have the blank labels, right? Right. But um, so when we first started, we were just doing the U.S. Grade A for the tourist market, and even if we wanted at this point, we don't have enough honey, local honey, to even attempt. And we've had a few of the our customers in Tumon, and they want the local honey. And I'm saying it's expensive, and they're like, it's fine, we still want it. And I'm like, I don't have enough to supply you. Mm. And they're like, okay, we'll wait until you do. But that's pretty rare because most of the time, they don't want to go through the work of setting up SKUs, setting up barcodes, allotting a space if it's going to be there for a day, and then it's an empty shelf after. Right, right. So they're like, well, how much can you supply? How many hundreds of bottles? I'm like, I can't supply hundreds of bottles. So they're like, okay, we'll wait until you can. That's something that's very new because before... It's just getting out as much product as possible. But now a lot of the companies, like um, even the hotels, they're more about like we're trying to help sustainability. Uh, Like it was awesome. We were working with uh, Chef Mirko the other day, Mm -hmm. and he said that he stopped serving uh, faux gras, 
right? Full gras. That's the, the geese liver that right. they, they force feed. He said they stopped doing it because of the um, inhumane treatment of animal. Oh. Because what they'll do is they'll just... It's like it's done eating and they just keep force feeding it, right? Right. The geese. And so he said like that was on his menu forever because that's traditional like fine dining. Right. And everyone loves it. It's super delicious. But he said he had to make a choice. Like, is this going to be something I'm going to continue to do and try to be like going green, sustainable, organics, you know? And so he's like, he scrapped it from his menu. So that was a decision that, like an ethical decision he made. And so we can see that now people are taking in these kind of things into consideration. Yeah. It's not just the, the make, make the sell kind of thing. Right. Don't go away. There's more coming up with Arlene Live on the KUAM Podcast Network. Middle of the ocean, but this paradise is teeming with people with all sorts of amazing abilities. Benita Baby was nothing but hair accessories. <laughs> I had some little barrettes um, that we were making and headbands, our little like knit bow headbands. And that's all I started out with. And I decided shortly after, you know, I had been sewing for a little while that I was going to put it out there. Whether it's artists who create visual masterpieces, creatives inspiring others, people who compose and perform moving pieces of music, athletes taking their game to the next level, or entrepreneurs coming up with innovative solutions, there are a ton of folks here doing incredible things with their gifts. And I want to introduce them to all of you. Women, not just guys, women could come in and feel like they're there to train, they're going to be taken serious, they're, they're not going to be hit on by dudes, yeah. they're going to have their own space. You know, I mean, they're going to be respected as just another practitioner of, of this martial art. I'm Jonathan Charfris, and I invite you to join me on the KUAM Podcast Network for Fistful of Talent, where I sit down with people discussing their visions and dreams and sharing the secrets of their success. In the avenues of, mm -hmm. yeah. of Step. you know, being in the creative life and then what's, what's the next thing. Just subscribe to the KUAM Podcast Network on SoundCloud iTunes, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcatcher platform, and prepare to be amazed. That's Fistful of Talent each and every Friday. Thanks for listening. And now, let me get you back to your show. Now, back to the conversation with Arlene Live. Okay, so the only reason, Micah, that I'm still pressing on this is I'm wondering if the customers really care. I am surprised that Asian tourists are that hooked on U.S. products. Do you see that to be with other products too or just with the honey? I think it's not just the honey. So like, um, I, I'm not a big stock guy. But I, I like to invest in stocks. I enjoy that and learning about companies and stuff. And so one of the stocks I've been following forever is Apple. And then once I got to the 10, the way I would always track Apple's sales with China was I would be on a subway and I would look how many people are using Apple. Yeah. Now everyone's using like Android. They started using Samsung. And I was getting a little, little nervous about Apple, right? And then all of a sudden, um, a Huawei came out. Mm. And now everyone's using Huawei. So I went up to Shenzhen which is like 
where all the electronics happened in China. And then I was meeting with the guy there and I just asked him like, what's the deal with Apple? Why is Apple not doing well here? And he said, with all the Chinese, Apple is still the gold standard. He said, everybody wants Apple, but they can't afford it mm. because the price is so expensive and they don't have the uh, deals like we have here in the US with contracts right. and subsidies. If you're gonna buy a phone, you're gonna buy it outright. And it's usually- Unlocked hot. and yeah. outright. Yeah, so you know they're gonna have to drop a grand Whereas here in the state, uh, in Guam or in the states, you know, you just like re-up your contract right. and you get it for like two hundred bucks. Right. So they're the, they still want U.S. Uh, U.S. made products. That's like the gold standard. And that's for all Asian markets: Korean, Japanese, Chinese. For a long time, Korea was like that. Like everyone's dream is to come to come to the states and roll in, in Cadillac. Mm. Now that's kind of changing. Now it's like. You see a lot more going towards Lexus, right? But that's that's with the um, the Koreans are all they're all rolling in the RX. But that's that was the original mentality: is U.S. is the good standard, right? Mm. Even back in the day, uh, Japan their product was actually kind of viewed like made in China. It had right. a really bad rep, and then they just upped their game and they're like, we're setting a high standard. And now a lot of us, we like Japanese-made products, right? We see the, it. Yeah, the reason I'm asking is because I, I, I see people, too, making choices. I'm, I'm an Apple. I mm. have Apple computers. I have an Apple cell phone. I'm married to that. I mean, I wasn't at first, you know, and my, my son-in-law, Paul, and I, that's how we met because I was a PC user, but I've crashed so many PC computers doing the work that we're doing that now there's just, I'm really, I've seen, I've got religion on that item, right? But... Um, when I when I see people when they move to a non Apple product like a cell phone because the camera is better or because mm. the face of the phone is larger they have a larger screen looking it's like that's almost like an iPad then you know <laughs> yeah what, don't, you don't want your phone to be an iPad and I don't know if your listeners are gonna be torn over this but I'm Samsung right and i'm thinking about going back to apple oh no you have to go back to because apple because apple's got the the watch samsung's watch is garbage yeah the the airpods the you know the apple's got all the good stuff in their ecosystem so i and may switch back a- apple's apple's infrastructure you know i mean you you can cross platform you can sync mm-hmm. you know you could talk to each other i mean how can you be that and then even like well, when I when I uh, switched over, it was by accident. Like I had crushed my phone, and then I went back, and I was like, "Oh, they didn't have the Apple that I wanted. It wasn't coming out yet." So I was like, "Just give me like a Samsung in the meantime." Yeah, I struggle with uh, with having to go up to eleven because, you know, I mean, I got a ten plus, I think, or something like that, and I'm really happy. No, you're gonna move up. I know it. You know why? Because <laughs> the eleven Pro. You are all about taking awesome photos. Yes, and I that am. one is got like really great lenses. Yeah, on Yeah, but I I would never use a cell phone to take a picture of a bird because I need to get right up to that bird. Mm. As a matter of fact, Ryan Vicente in Saipan, yeah. he asked me just re- all of a sudden recently. I feel I feel vindicated in some way because I share my photos of the birds. You know that, yeah. right? And I want to teach people that we have birds. Okay, they may not be on Guam, but there's still birds on Guam. Yeah. And people go, where'd you see this? I take them out. They can't believe that the birds are there. 
they just they're not looking for them so like your swarm they're there you just have to look for them right that's like the bad rap that guam has about the brown tree snakes oh there's no more birds and then jeff uh flores told me that they had a problem up in the anderson's um flight path right because there's like thousands of birds like going up into the plains but those but the the birds that are on the flight path are usually migratory birds Mm. and they we have the same problem up at wampat they like it's open area Mm -hmm. and so there's a lot of of birds that go there mostly migratory or the cat but anyway ryan texted me the other day and he said arlene may i use your your bird photos as models for my for my drawings and i said absolutely i mean you know they're they're not my birds right the photo's mine but at least he asked yeah right and then the irony was i was so motivated by that text and when he and he he's so progressive every time he he updates the sketch he'll send it back to me he'll send it to me in whatsapp and i'm looking at it and i thought oh i want to do this right so it just so happened i got this uh flyer from cornell uh, cornell lab it said that there was this journaling course and if i would like to participate well I got sucked in with the $79. I said, really? That's a great price for a 10-hour course, right? Then I had to order my supplies. <laughs> and that came up to almost $300. My pad just came in because the supplies that I need, I want to make sure I'm using what the course is using. I don't want to have to just go downtown yeah. here. They might have it here, but it was so much easier for me to just buy it on Amazon. So my my supplies are now coming in. And he finished the eggie, which is the the honey eater with the the red honey eater, and now he's sketching the okay. Marianas Kingfisher, and he's does he's does such a great job. Yeah, I saw he. Oh my goodness! When we were up there, he was showing me his uh his artwork his that he was doing portfolio. Yeah, he was doing a lot of uh, faces at the time, but yeah. yeah, so they were showing me the pictures, but even like the photography. Yeah. So Russell is the photographer. Yeah. And because he he and I have have done things together but ryan is the other he's one the he's the artist okay i you know what i'm i'm wondering now if both of them are they're very artistic yeah so the one that he was showing me was his uh, drawings okay maybe and it's it, like very good and so incredible are, so the one you're going to be doing is online course or yes i'm doing an online okay. course so but this the course has started but i contacted the um professor and i said listen i have to order my things i'm in guam I'm not going to be able to do it. So I did reach out and she said, don't worry. You can always log in. You can do it at your pace and whatever. And so I actually started on my own with just just a line pad. And I was very surprised that how my, but I want to splash a little color on there, watercolor. And I, you know, I have all those pictures of the birds and I want to do something with it. I want to publish a book. I, I just want to educate people that the birds are here. Yeah. And uh, so, the, so I'm wondering um, if the birds are like a nemesis to the bees. So a bird can go after the bees and that's not going to be a problem because you've got like tens of thousands of bees. Right. How many bees can these birds eat? The problem is, is when they go after the queen when she's on her mating flight. And so sometimes your queen is out there, she's on her mating flight and the hive is depending on her to come back and then a bird will come and just uh, eat them up, you know? Yeah, but if a queen is missing or dead don't the bees make a queen what what they'll do is while the queen is there the first queen before she swarms she will make several queens as like backup 
But what can happen is if all the queens are gone, she's out on her mating flight, she comes back, they can't make a queen because all of the females, they can lay eggs, but they're unfertilized eggs, which will always be male. And so that, that's sometimes a problem. And you can see it like if you're looking in a hive and you see like a whole bunch of sloppily laid eggs instead of one perfectly in the bottom of each cell, then that means you got a laying worker. Mm. Now, what happens is the reason why the workers never lay is because the queen puts out a pheromone, which like shrivels up all of their ovaries kind of thing. So no one else can lay while no she's around. Yeah. But when she's gone, then one of them will be like, OK, I'm going to start laying now. So sometimes that happens. But, you know. If you're checking your hives regularly, you see it in there, oh, I don't have a queen here, then what you can do is you can take a frame of eggs, freshly laid eggs from another hive and put it in, and then the bees will take, um, they'll make a, a queen cell, they'll take the egg out, stick it up in there, they'll transfer it, right, and then they'll start feeding it um, royal jelly, which mm -hmm. will turn it into the queen. So if you provide them the egg, the fertilized right. egg, right, then right. they can make it. What does that term mean, queen bee? You mean like bee terminology or like in slang? Oh, there's a no. difference? No, I'm just joking. Not slang. <laughs> I'm not interested uh, in that. So like in the bee terminology, what does it mean to be the queen bee? Okay, so when there is a queen bee, there are still other bee queens? At the very beginning when they're being born. But there's only one queen per hive. Okay. Yeah, and there there can't be more than one queen per hive because they'll eventually like find, seek each other out and one will, will die. Or one will will they kill them? Will they kill them? Yeah, the two queens will fight. Uh, and if you sometimes if you're introducing a new queen, and the the hive's not ready to take her, they're not used to her scent, then the hive will kill her. So what they'll do is they'll normally put her in a cage, block it with some sugar, or like a marshmallow or something. And as the bees are trying to get to her, they're eating the the sugar away. Then they're getting used to her scent, and by the time she comes out, she's good to go. Interesting. Now Kenny Pengalinen, another beekeeper posted something the other day with he was talking he was showing all the different colors which is what you're talking is that wax uh, i don't know I didn't uh, see they it. were like white and yellow and red and all kinds of different colors and it looked like i don't know what he was holding up the it was the on a frame frame oh okay so sometimes when you look at a frame and it's all different colors what that is is it's pollen or they'll call it bee bread so the that's the food source for the for the bees. So what they'll do is they'll go out, they'll gather these pollen. They have pollen sacks on their back legs, right? That's and you'll cute. see it, right? You got these big old they like cargo pants or right, something, right? And then they bring back this uh, pollen, and it's the funniest thing trying to watch them take the pollen off. It looks like someone that's trying to take off their socks, and they're just going like this, and they they rub their legs together and they put it inside the the comb, and then they'll mix it in with a little bit of honey. So then it's a different substance now, right? So you got honey and pollen mixed together and they pack it up and that's the bee bread. Okay, so then that's bee bread that I saw. Yeah, because so it's basically all, pollen, yeah. Yeah, they look like little balls. Yeah, so those little balls are the pollen. Okay, so why do you take that out of the comb? What do you do with the bee bread? Normally that's gonna be down in the, the brood box where all the bees live, that's their food source. Oh. So most of the time you, you just leave that for them because they need that to eat. And we just take the honey but I know that is very trendy, like in uh, Russia, they take that out and they eat it because it's very nutritious, right? Uh -huh. It's like, uh, but you can make your own bee bread. They Sometimes what they'll do is take pollen and honey and mix it together and you just keep mixing it back and forth. And then now you have like a very protein, pollen heavy uh, honey substance. And that's probably gonna alter the taste of that honey too. Yeah. So like even pollen sometimes has a little bit, to me it tastes like granola, right? like right. a granola kind of flavor. 
but pollen you're not supposed to eat too much of it because mm-hmm. it's kind of potent stuff especially if you have allergies but a little bit of it can help you with your allergies so sometimes so dose in doses yeah just a little bit sprinkle it on top of your salad put it in your acai bowl on top of your yogurt so are you surprised that you enjoy doing this and that you've learned so much and you've actually become studious I think I am surprised with myself because I'm the kind of guy that doesn't read instructions and I don't have a long attention span. I mean, I enjoy nature, but usually my version of like going out to be with nature is I have to, it's purpose driven. Like mm-hmm. I want to go spear fishing. I want to you know, I'm not going to be like taking pictures of the fish. I want to <laughs> catch the fish or I'll go um even like trolling rod and reel. I enjoy fishing, you know. So this is kind of interesting to me that this is something that I enjoy. Yeah, but when you fish, do you do the same study with the fish? You want to know what kind of fish they are, where they where they spawn, you know, where they come from? Are they pelagic? Are they reef? I mean, d- did you spend the same kind of time Not understanding? Nearly, yeah. Okay, so, so why is this different? I think what surprises me, well, it shouldn't surprise me, but what fascinates me is the order there's so much order and it's it makes so much sense like one thing that and like the things that the bees do is just amazing so like if you think about it if you're in a congested city the more people that is going to be in this city the less efficient it will be and that's just how everything is right the more crowded you have of something the more of something the less efficient it becomes with bees the larger the population if you have one mega hive will be more efficient than two hives that have been split of the same and so it's just amazing how that that kind of works right the thing that i find so fascinating is like in the comb itself if you look at the pattern everything is almost exactly the same and everything i think goes up almost like at 15 degrees and so all the cells are all pitched at the same angle well why is that it's because when they put in honey when they're putting in nectar it's still watery right and so once it gets to the point where it's filling up it's drying out at the same time and won't spill out. Interesting. So they're all just been... So the combs are at 15 degrees? I think uh, you're going to have to check with Paul on that. He's, he probably <laughs> knows all the, the accurate uh, facts. but All the numbers. Yeah. So they're, they're pitched, I believe it was at 15 degrees, so that the honey won't spill out, right? And so that's why wow. when we're doing transplants, you need to put it in the same orientation that you've taken it out. But it's just like, you know... It was put put there in their brains. It was all designed, yeah? Of course, all by design. And so the more that I'm learning about these things, I'm like, man, this is so amazing how all of this stuff works. And Does it give you more appreciation for your God? Yes. There's like so much so much that that, uh, like you can learn from it, right? And so that's that's one of the ways that that we learn is just by observing observing creation. Creation. And then you're like, oh wow, that's that's something that's amazing, yeah. right? I find the same thrill when I observe the birds, their behavior, their their attention to their environment and you know, the fact that they have a mission. They're always preening, they're always eating, they're always looking around, they're they're totally alert. And they're never in danger because of that. Do you have the same affection that you have or interest in birds? as you do in chickens? Or do you feel that like they get a lot less? I don't like chickens. Ah, I love chickens. Stay where you are. The conversation continues with Arlene Live when we come back. Buenas and holiday. I'm Lacey Martinez Francisco. If you're hungry or have a passion about everything food, then I've got just the show for you. 
with me. Each week, I bring you Foodie Call, a show about all aspects of how we Guamanians enjoy our cuisine, preparing it, consuming it, sharing it, using it as social currency, and talking endlessly about it. We also profile people in our community who are masters of their crafts in working with food. Whether you eat with your eyes or can't wait to fill your stomach, or if you're a perfectionist about the process, you'll enjoy Foodie Call right here on the KWM Podcast Network. So lock in our show by subscribing to our feed on SoundCloud, on iTunes, on Google Podcasts, or on your favorite podcatcher platform. And get our freshest episodes delivered right to your device when we're done cooking them. We'll see you then, and we'll make you a plate. Now, back to the conversation with Arlene Live. Well, you know what? I loved a chicken. Okay. A chicken? You yeah. had a chicken that is your I pet? Had, I had one chicken that was, we named her Lady Fluffy Bottom. Lady Fluffy Bottom. And she was the best chicken. She was like a dog. Like I could hold up parts of my Subway sandwich and she'd fly up and take it from my fingertips. Oh, okay. So you had she, a pet. Yeah. She laid like these big brown eggs. <laughs> but Well, I grew up, I was born in Timuning, but grew up in Chalampago. So that's country, right? And... My grandmother had a walkway to her front door, and there were chickens all over Chalampago. So when we would come up to visit her, we'd have to dodge the poop all over, and I hate watering yeah. it down. I don't like the smell. So chickens, I don't care for. And yeah. I, don't, I don't like fresh chicken soup. I don't like the taste, of the, the, the... Like the stewing? The stewing, oh, it's so hard. Yeah. Now, I like chicken, but yeah. I don't like fresh i don't even like the smell of the, it's too gamey mm. for me especially the stewing chicken man yeah but fresh chicken is worse than stewing chicken oh, okay I, I just don't like it i don't like the smell but yeah and they are foul so they are birds in by definition but i'm i'm not fascinating with them because we don't have a lot of variety here and they're not that pretty and they all look so scrawny and they make noise <laughs> yeah so what what's the the bird that you're like that's like your go-to. I, I don't have a favorite bird. I, get, I find that when I'm out birding, I'm in a, in a totally different world. It's just it, nothing else matters. I could sit for hours and take pictures of the birds and watch them, how they move around, how they interact with each other. I'm always fascinated that they don't crash into each other. Honestly, that's what I think was the biggest appeal to me about the uh, bees was that I, I tune out of everything else because yeah. like I was saying like when I'm when I'm watching TV I'm also got uh, my phone or a tablet in my hand and I'm working or you know I'm, out, I'm when I'm out shopping like on vacation I'm still like trying to think of ideas and stuff but when you're in working with the bees you got to be in the zone you got to listen to the bees you're constantly like you're looking for the queen you're looking for how the health of the hive is you can't answer your phone you know and so it's like i just kind of step away from everything and then it just gives me a break and i then the pleasure is indescribable for me and before when i when i drive to a birding station or location 
I always call Bob first or I'll text Bob and I'll say, okay, I'm out, I'm out birding and I'm here and I will text you back when I leave because I don't know how long I'm going to be there. But I need to let him know where I'm at because yeah. I'm in the jungle or I'm down south or, you know, and he needs to know where I'm at. And I, I can't do it with other people because they want to talk or they or they can't keep... No, but seriously, when you're birding, you have to concentrate and the birds know you're there. So your movements have to be minimized. I don't even turn on the music I because they, they are totally aware of everything. And I'm actually thinking of buying a head um, mask. Um, one of the brothers in Tinian was wearing it when we went fishing to protect himself from the sun. And I thought, oh, that, that's something I should do. Camouflage as much of me as possible so that the birds are not, they, get, they forget that I'm there. If I'm in my truck, I'm not a threat. Mm -hmm. If I get out of my truck, I'm a threat. So I've learned to stay in the truck, roll the window down, get as close as I can to an angle where my camera is situated such that I can take their pictures and I just lose myself in, in, their, in their activities. Is there a community of, of um, what would you call it, birders? Or what there is a community of bird birders, but they usually get together at the end of the year and, and count birds. Mm -hmm. But birders, it's a very isolated hobby. Maybe that's the, the one of the best things about it, though. That's what I like about it. Yeah. It's, it. It gives me time to get away from my regular work, which is, con I mean, most of what I do is original thought. You know, I mean, I read, read, all, look at all the books behind you in the library, right? I'll read what I have to read, and then I have to get away from it for a while. And it's almost as if my brain defrags. Does that make sense? It starts to defrag. It starts yeah. to sort clearing, things out. Clearing yeah, things clearing up. things yeah. up. And when I'm out there, I'm not aware of it, but when I... When I'm out there, I'll I'll be stumped on something, and then all of a sudden I think, of course, because I've had time to step away from it. It's right there, but I'm when I step away from it. So yeah, birding, birding is very therapeutic for me. Yeah, it's good that I I think it's good for everyone to have something like that. Probably back in the day, everyone did it all the time, right? Because a lot of times your job was like if you were doing something in agriculture or something like that, you're gonna have time to naturally do that and now that we've got these new lives that everything is you know we have a phone in our hand at all times of the day we always have something to distract us we don't have time to just sit there and process so it's probably very healthy for us mentally yeah i'm very excited about this journaling course because i've kept journals most of my life but there were journals you know my mom started me on it when i was about 10 and i've interrupted the journaling many many times but it's something I really enjoy doing. I like write, right? I like to write. And I did the columns in all the newspapers. And of course, I did 10 years of the radio show. But I've learned that my grandchildren like to draw. And I thought, what a way to do this. I'll first learn how to journal and then turn them on to that. Because Gabriel's now learning how to play piano and he's very good at it. Kamea is also like me where she, she can entertain herself. She doesn't need other people to entertain her. She gets involved in things. She's very organized about what she does, you know, kind of like Tara. And then there's Zoe, and Zoe's just, you know, she's a baby right now, so she's in everyone's way and demanding all the attention. But she's very mindful of things, and she likes to do things herself. So I'm thinking if I jumpstart this and get into it, I can turn them on into uh, journaling. They don't have to do birds, but something, right? Yeah, and then... You know, 
to expose them to as much stuff as possible because who knows what's gonna come of it you said your mom exposed you to journaling when you were 10 yeah and then you kind of turned into a career for you yeah who would have thought yeah who would have thought micah this has been wonderful i really enjoy this i'm i'm sorry i didn't do this sooner no it's okay Uh, i'm having fun too and i appreciate sorry my throat's a little dried out that's okay. You need to train your vocal cords. Yeah. And also, we were at Carabao. It's like the acoustics are so loud. Oh, yeah. So we're all shouting yeah, at each yeah. other to hold a conversation. That's why I don't yeah. like going to those things. So where are you going to go with this now? How far is this going to take you? Do you have any immediate plans? Are, are you going to help other people uh, to do this? Is, is there a way that we can get our honey certified, tested? Are we going to go there? Do we need to go there? Um, well, I think it would be good probably in the future to have some, some kind of like to know what's the the benefits of the honey here, if there's anything special, but I think that's probably going to be later on in the future. Once production is up, there's actually a wealth of, of source of, um, experience and, and knowledge from all the beekeepers here in Guam that they can contact probably like Chris for the, the beekeepers community and everyone has insights and we're learning things from each other all the time. I remember the question that I forgot. Mm. What are the the genetics about the bees on Guam? So as far as I know, from what I've been told, we have the Italian bee here, which is very good because its temperament isn't so bad. And I've heard different stories about how the bees came to Guam and different theories about how the bees came to Guam. One of them was um, uh, I heard that there was a farmer who brought them from Florida. And then another one I've heard is that the Germans brought it when they were trying to uh, build up the ag agriculture in uh, Saipan. So I'm not too sure what's the truth or... Or, that, or maybe both. Yeah. Let's assume that that's true. If they brought it to Saipan, they would have managed to come here? Probably not through flight, but they were saying that they thought maybe that it was brought over by someone or that maybe a swarm had built onto a boat or something and Mm. made its way over so i'm not too sure about the real history about how the bees made it to guam but um yeah and then some of the ways that we're well at least with me what i'm trying to do just uh help other beekeepers is if if they have any questions i always try to refer them to the ones who know more than me Mm. and then uh uh like if they they need bees i've kind of told them that i can help them to get started I can't help everybody, but I'm, I'm currently trying to help some, like Tano. I'm going to be setting him up with a hive and uh, Sister Rii. And a lot of the times, I think all of us, like um, even if there's going to be a big extraction, sometimes that's a lot of work for right. one person. So we just team up and we go and help each other out and then uh, help get the job done, pull the bees out, and then whoever's hive that was that spotted or whatever, they just take the bees. So we know for a fact then that the bees on Guam are all one gene i believe so i believe it's all from the italian bees yeah okay and it's kind of good i think that's actually one of the best things about guam is how isolated we are Mm. because the rest of the world has got a lot of disease and mites and problems with the bees and guam is one of the remote places that the bees are still very healthy what about the threat of the hornet that is also a problem so that one the hornets have been uh coming to guam there's been some efforts to try to eradicate them hunt them down um so those hornets, they, it's called the greater banded hornet. The greater banded Yeah, it's like all black. It's probably about the size of a little bit smaller than my pinky. And they have, they're all black with this uh, bright stripe, orange stripe across the butt. 
and they like to prey on the, the bees. And so, how bad is that population? Is it um, under control? I, it's not under control, and I heard that it's much worse up north. Mm -hmm. Some of the beekeepers have lost hives to them. Like, they would just swarm the hive and just kill everything. Um, I think all the beekeepers on Guam are having sightings of them. So, like, every day, a few of them, I go out there with my Zori, and I'm just standing in front of my hive sw swatting at these things. And then, um, yeah, a lot of them, they're just catching nets. Chris Rosario right now, he ordered these little transmitters. Huh. And what he wants to do is try to catch the, the hornet, mm -hmm. put them in the refrigerator till they fall asleep, glue it to the abdomen, and then just let them go. So they can trace And then them. track them to the, the, nest. To the nest. So hopefully oh. that will work when it comes. So the, the hive that we set up for Asiga, your nephew, um, that one, they're at Asiga, they're very um, intent on doing like all natural, organic, very healthy. And like even their coffees, they, they source like great single origin coffees and uh, all quality stuff. And so they asked me uh, if they could do a single origin hive. So what a single origin hive means that you don't mix it with any other hive and it not with any other harvest. So single harvest, single hive. So, so you're not gonna be able to do your mixing? Well, normally I, I don't mix, normally I separate by color okay. yeah so what i couldn't do with that one though is uh well i told her because of necessity by it's like just how it is all of my uh extractions are usually single origin because i don't have a whole bunch right, right. Or small operation but uh i said yeah we'll do one for you definitely and so that one it should be ready to harvest actually i think it's ready um either this week or next week so i'm gonna go out there and try to give them some more space so they don't swarm on me yeah, wait for me, and though. And then we'll wait for you to, to come back, and then we'll do that extraction. If, is there anything that I didn't ask that you would like to cover? If anyone's interested in, in contacting me, um, like, if even if I can't help you out, then I can pass them on to, like, Chris or someone who can. We'll just, a lot of times we put it up on the chat and whoever's available to help. So, like, if there's a, a hive extraction that needs to be done, or if someone's interested in beekeeping or if they're interested in seeing the the harvest that we're going to be doing at live at Asiga, they can just uh look at um we want to record that yeah so well the process we're gonna me and you we're gonna go there we can record it, taking it out and, and cleaning it up and he wants to do it in his shop yeah but so, we, we want to record that whole process yeah so if anyone wants to yeah. come and check it out we'll be posting all the information okay. up on our um ig account okay. which is half a day honey at uh, at Hoffaday Honey on Instagram and they can just check it out there and then yeah how thanks many, for having how many, me how many beekeepers are there um, there are some beekeepers who are not in the beekeepers association okay. and so I'm not sure on, on the exact number but my best guess would say about maybe 20 how many in the association maybe a little less than 20 mm, not it's, sure. it's probably I, I think I can look it up on the chat but there's some who are on the chat who aren't yet beekeepers. Uh, so it's, I don't know the exact they're number. They're just interested. Huh? Yeah. Okay. And if somebody sees a, a swarm of bees, instead of killing them, yeah. they should call who? So preferably, if you're going to call a pesticide company, you're going to pay them to come and kill all the bees. You don't want to do that. Yeah, you don't want to do that. And because the bees actually, they just got recognized as the most important um, uh, animal or insect on the planet earth right right and so we want to be able to help the bees keep they them alive pollinate, yeah. they feed they protect and so what they can do um 
They can try to contact that B guy Rosario on Instagram, or they can contact me, Hafiday Honey, on uh, Instagram, and then we'll put it on the chat, and someone who's available can try to get it right away. They'll house the bees, they'll put them in a beehive, put it on someone's property, and then that way the bees are going to be saved, and we'll get them we'll get out some of, honey. Yeah, we'll get them out of your hair, we'll get them out of your walls. There you go. Too bad you're not in Saipan because um, Pinky moved into this house and I showed you those pictures, yeah. right? They were all alongside that uh, roof panel. And they had literally, they were like 10 hives according to Charlie. Did yeah. Charlie tell you? No, but You I, should talk to him. I, w I wish I was there because what happened was actually when we were there for the, the relief work, uh, my friend Shem, he's into bouldering or rock climbing. Right. And you know, we're going down to the grotto. Right. And he sees this beautiful boulder on the side of the road. He wants to climb it. So we go out there, and as he's climbing it, we're looking up, and I see bees coming in and out. And there's a wild hive right in there. And so uh, Obed, uh, one of the guys out there, he was interested in raising bees. So I'm like, you know where they're located. Now you yeah. can just go take them out. Can you take the bees from there to here? From Saipan to Guam? Yeah. Um, I don't know if you can, but I wouldn't because, well, they have a, a serious a mite problem. Oh, okay. Yeah, so we don't want to introduce that to Guam. Okay. Thank you again. Yeah, thanks for and having us. Thanks, Arlene. Appreciate it. You've been listening to Arlene Live on the KUAM Podcast Network. Join her every Monday for a new edition. Log on soundcloud.com slash KUAM News or listen anytime. Scroll down and click on Arlene. We welcome your feedback and suggestions. Email Arlene, R-L-E-N-E, -E, at ArleneLive.com. Thanks for listening.